Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special edition of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always College Football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at MattSwartz723. And they are who we thought they were. <laughs> they totally, totally fucking were. And Mikey Sanders still said so. They had that amazing clip of him in the middle of the second half, right, where they, man, this Michigan team gave some quotes after this game <laughs> when they were breaking your will or whatever it was that Mike Barrett. Yeah. yeah Mike after Barrett the game, he said, essentially, you can see when their will breaks. You can feel it. That's the most hardcore shit I've ever heard in my life. But the Sainer still won. Yeah, it was like late third quarter, I think, He's where like they, apparently he was standing up, up right in front of the defense, kind of rallying people saying they are who we thought they were like the Dennis Green quote. And man, <laughs> that's the kind of energy this Michigan team has not had. This um, we've not felt like that in this rivalry for a long fucking time. I mean, we've suffered through pretty rough time for the last twenty years, and after two straight, with where this rivalry is at right now, you better believe this team and and all of us for that matter are going to talk our shit. Oh, we're going to talk our shit. So, in case you haven't heard, Michigan dog walked Ohio State again, and I'm going to start. By shit-talking C.J. Stroud. I have to. I can't help it. And here's, here's why. Here's why. I understand that he's a kid and he gets up there on the podium and he has to, you know, face the gallows after this game that did not go the way that him and the Ohio State faithful wanted it to go. But he gets up there and he gives this fucking quote about... Like, one game doesn't define us. Like, sir, are you new here? Like, did you just arrive to this party? Because it absolutely... There are literal movies about how it defines people. Documentaries. Mm -hmm. Like, HBO did a whole fucking series. Like, this absolutely does define you. How are you not getting it? And even if he does get it and he just said that, don't say that. (laughs) Say literally anything else. You know, we're really disappointed... We worked really hard and we didn't do enough. Like literally anything is better than what you said. I just from a purely objectively because you look stupid. You look fucking stupid. You can't get up there and be like this one game doesn't define us after spending a whole fucking year being like Michigan talked so much shit about how they were tougher than us. Oh, right. T-T-U-N talked so much shit about it. They don't say Michigan. Yeah, and you spend the whole week with the, the crossed out M's except doing it badly. And you spend the whole year with the countdown. Like everything you do in your identity as a program is basically built. Or you say it's built around beating Michigan. That defines you. And then you lose and you say, oh, this doesn't define us. Yeah. No, man, that's not how that works. Miss me with that bullshit. Absolutely. You've been defined. <laughs> yeah, miss me. Miss me with that. You cannot walk around for 364 days and be like, we have been preparing for this. We're going to rough them up this. I'm uh-huh. punching my hand right now for sound effects. <laughs> like, we're going to rough them up this time. We're not going to get out muscled again. Like, whatever. And then you go in there, you get dog walked, and then you go, oh, this doesn't define us. Like, yes, it does. It absolutely does. Miss me with that soft ass nonsense. Soft. It's soft talk. Get out. It is soft. And I, I mean, the flip side of that is that it just, it feels so good to be on the other end of this. Like I said, it was, it's 20 years we've been suffering and some of those Michigan teams were just pretty bad. Some of those Michigan teams were really good and played better games than Ohio State did and just came out on the wrong end of coin flips. 
like more than our fair share. And to finally be here, like I, I think there were a couple of good pieces. We read uh, Punt Counterpunt with Brian Mack and, and Raj on MGO blog. They do this every week, right, where they write kind of the, the differing views of the game. It's always a fun read. And I think both of them kind of took a similar tack this week around saying that there was this view, I think, around the college football world that last year was not exactly a fluke, but I think there were real questions about whether Michigan could do that again on the road in less optimal conditions for the game Michigan wanted to play. And, I mean, all year Ohio State's been ranked ahead of Michigan in, you know, human polls, advanced metrics, et cetera. And you go into this game as the underdog thinking maybe last year wasn't a fluke, but I don't know if we, if we're still going to be winning once every five years or whatever, that's, that still kind of hurts. That kind of sucks. Right. And to go and do it, it wasn't the same style game, but to do it again, to kick the shit out of them and know that like you could feel it later in this game. And now you know it for sure coming out that now Ohio state knows that like Michigan right now and Ohio state right now, Michigan owns this rivalry. There's no more question about that. That's twice in a row. You got your ass kicked, including once at home in perfect conditions with everything you could have asked for. Any excuses that you rolled out last year could not possibly apply to this game. And you got beat just as bad, if not worse. And man, it, it just it feels so good to know that that's where it's at and to know that Ohio State is now the one. They're in the position that Michigan is in against Michigan State most years, where they're looking at it and knowing that on paper they probably should win. But after the last two years, they're, get, they're getting tight. You can feel it. And they know that everything that goes wrong, it's like, ah, oh, shit, here we go again. Is this going to be another loss to a Michigan team that we should probably beat? And twice in a row now, and it's pretty hard to look at this Ohio State program and think anything other than that's what they are. That's what they are right now. Now we're getting to the point where they're worried about whether they should probably beat this team at all. Because right. I think at this point, it's pretty easy to look at last year in the grand scheme of 20 years and say, you know, okay, every once fine. in a while you, you roll snake Broken eyes, basically. clocks, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Right. You roll snake eyes, whatever you want to use. But no, no, that's the point. They became very confident, complacent almost in no complacent. It's not almost complacent. In their view, that this should not be a game every year. Right. And now they know that that is not going to be the case anymore. Right. Period. This was not a, neither one of these can be looked at as a fluke at all. I mean, neither one of these games was a game where, like, oh, Ohio State lost three weird fumbles and Michigan won on a field goal at the end despite getting outgained by 200 yards. And, you know, those games happen in college football. Like, weird shit happens. This is two games in a row. Michigan has physically dominated them beat them in different types of games in different settings we won by three scores right correct this is not a fluke nobody wins flukes by three scores twice in a row you got your ass kicked flukes are like when you know south carolina knocks off georgia in a game where they kick a last minute field goal and georgia's post game win expectancy is like 85 percent or something absolutely fucking stupid those are flukes these are not flukes no these were not flukes this was michigan being the straight up better team twice despite Ohio State probably having the talent advantage and looking like the better team going into the game both I mean that's twice in a row Ohio State was an eight-point favorite going in once on the road once at home this time Michigan playing without Blake Corum I mean he got two snaps on the first series of the game very obviously couldn't go it was devastating I mean we were watching and we wanted to cry for him (laughs) we're going to talk a lot more about the offense and the run game and how all that played out but 
I think at that point, especially if you had asked me, you know, okay, Corum can't go. Can this Michigan team beat this Ohio State team? From everything we'd seen in the first 11 games, I just said probably not. No, absolutely. I mean, like. This was a game Ohio State probably should have won. And once again, they got their ass kicked just in different ways. And at this point, Michigan owns the rivalry. The Big Ten runs through Ann Arbor. Totally. And we listened to MGO blog, their podcast. And, you know, Brian wrote it in his game preview, too. But he said, what happens if Corum goes on? We don't preview fucked. <laughs> it's a reference to a great Tom Moore. Tom Moore was a longtime NFL coordinator who worked with Peyton Manning for many years. He was with the Colts when Peyton Manning was with the Colts. And apparently at one point a reporter asked him, why don't you give Peyton Manning's backups more reps? Like, you might need them. And he said, guys, if 18 goes down, we're fucked, and we don't practice fucked. And that's exactly right. Like, it doesn't matter what happens if Peyton Manning goes out of the game for the Colts. And I think watching Michigan this year, you had to feel like if Blake Corum can't go in the biggest game of the year with the way this team is constructed, with the whole offense built around the run game and Michigan being so run-heavy and so reliant on everything that they do being like just centered around that, you can't go on the road and then beat Ohio State. Until and they fucking you can, did it. Until you can't. Got it. And they did cool. it in every possible way. I mean, this was comprehensive. And after all that talk about oh, our defense is tougher now, this defense is fixed. You're not going to be able to run all over us. Michigan puts up 530 yards, including 252 rushing yards, and averages incredibly funny 7.2 yards a carry, which is exactly the same as last year. It wasn't the same game. Like, it wasn't six, seven, eight yards a carry, chunk, 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 like it was last year. But right. Do you want to buy death by a thousand cuts or do you want me to blow your head off in five seconds? Because that's what Donovan Ohio Edwards State did. took the ladder. And it turns out that putting nine guys in the box doesn't make you tougher. Sure, you can clog up the run game. You're just picking to get torched another way. And they got fucking torched over and over and over. Michigan had its four longest touchdown plays of the year Saturday. That's the choice they made, and you ate it. You fucking ate it. Illinois better than Ohio State. Book it. <laughs> How good must Illinois be? Playoffs. <laughs> Illinois to the playoffs. No, seriously, we've talked about this a lot all year, which is, you know, fucking idiots, not ball knowers. <laughs> we'll be like, why don't you just stack the box and press your corners? Like, why don't you just stack the box and press your corners? Because that's what happens when you do, right? Like, ultimately, if you're going to stack the box against a team like Michigan, and Ohio State did it over and over and over again. Matt and I rewatched this, and the number of times we paused to see nine guys within five yards of the line of scrimmage was absolutely insane. It it, it felt and it like... it wasn't nine guys close to the line of scrimmage with two safeties back. It was like nine guys in the box within five yards of the line of scrimmage and then two corners on the outside pressing. Like, they played this game incredibly aggressively, and they dared Michigan to make big plays, especially in the passing game, and they got it right in the fucking face. Because that's what happens. I mean, we, we saw it by the time it got to Donovan Edwards breaking the big runs in the second half that, you know, when you do that, if, if you get past those two lines, there is no one left. There's no one there to bring down Donovan Edwards, period. Because yep. your, your wide receivers are going to run those corners out of the play. Yep. And then they're, he's gone. And then there's nothing. There's nothing there. And that's like, you know, people asked a lot of questions about, well, why are people still playing Michigan like this with too high? And even though the receivers can't really do much, that's why. That's why. Yep. We've been saying it for weeks. That it's not just the passing game. It's that with Michigan's diversity in the run game, if you read a gap wrong as a linebacker and you don't have a safety 10 yards back, 
they're going to they're going to rip off 60 70 yard touchdowns we saw it against penn state twice right Corum and edwards both and we've seen it a couple other times this year rutgers there were a couple where they played super aggressively and they blew some plays up they killed some drives that way and then they got big ass touchdowns on their face and that's just the trade-off that you make and ohio state got a lot of them and gave up 45 points more than last year <laughs> it just for everything that they said that they were doing to fix all of what happened last year even without Blake Corum, it was the same game. These were the same teams. They are who we thought they were. It was so satisfying. I'm not. I'm going to be riding this high for a year, just like I did last time. Yep. Just incredible. But yeah, I mean, that was exactly it. And the corners didn't fare better. I mean, one of the things we talked about on the preview was that we thought Ohio State's secondary was weak. We called that out. And we were like, our concern is that our passing game has been a little too pedestrian to take advantage of that. That was one of the things we, I think, identified as something we were worried about. Nope. (laughs) Cornelius Johnson was like, nope. Colson Loveland was like, nope. Cornelius Johnson's double move, like, I just... absolutely torched that safety. I mean, got him turned the wrong direction. Like, Cornelius Johnson was running a corner route while he's running a post into the middle of the field with nobody there. First of all, it's got to feel really good for Cornelius Johnson because I think all of us around the the Michigan football Twitter sphere have been kind of talking shit about Michigan's receivers for a while. And to be fair, they have not played very well for the last month or so of the season. A lot of dropped passes or contested catches that should have been caught and weren't. And we said, you know, what's the problem with Michigan's passing game? And uh, I mean, it was just last week I said I think the majority of it is the receivers, and then there's probably a big chunk that is basically – scheme not really doing a lot to get those guys open or give them chances down the field and and some of that I think is holding stuff back for Ohio State and we're probably going to see some of that and man we did they I think the receivers especially Cornelius Johnson I mean the first touchdown uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more but that was uh, you know a fantastic little spin move to pull away from that guy and then just foot speed right, right up the sideline right and then the double move that you talked about a few minutes later to put Michigan ahead Cornelius Johnson had a huge game in the first half when Michigan desperately needed something on offense. We did also see some of the stuff that we hypothesized was was in the bag, you know, or in the, in the box that they'd put on the shelf ever since Penn State, right? The Colston Loveland touchdown in particular, that was a play action to Donovan Edwards with an additional play action reverse to Ronnie Bell, where Ohio State's bringing six guys and they don't really get any pressure because everybody kind of pauses or or hesitates or you know starts to pursue Bell, not really knowing where the play is going. And meanwhile, you've got Colston Loveland sneaking out from an H-back spot on a wheel route, and he's just wide fucking open. And that's the kind of play that Michigan hasn't put that shit on tape. They save that for just the right moment to rip off a 50, 45-yard touchdown. And, and, then, and then later in the game, right, the uh, Kalel Mullings pop pass. Unbelievable. I mean, you've moved a guy over from linebacker to running back just for the week because you're so shorthanded at running back. Apparently, this was a play that was designed for Blake Corum. Yeah, Jim said that in the postgame. I thought for sure that that was one that was designed for Edwards mm-hmm. just because of we know Edwards has the arm. We've seen it. 
But it but, makes more sense that it would be Corum because Corum's been the short, the short yardage, yardage back all year. And if you put Edwards in in a situation where Corum's normally the guy, you potentially throw people off a little bit. Like, oh, maybe there's something going on here that's different from usual. Right, and you maybe don't... alarm bells start going off. But right. yesterday, it wouldn't have mattered. There was no Blake Corum. <laughs> right, yeah. Edwards was the back the overwhelming majority of the time. So I guess from that perspective, you probably could have repped it with Edwards, but also he's got a bum hand. So Right, and Kalel Mullings, I mean, he, he makes the play, and... Again, like a running back pop pass on third and one. Like Michigan's been so, we're just going to punch it up the middle for a yard on like third or fourth and one this year. They've been very basic or, or simple in their short yardage game. And at at the most critical possible time on a third and one, they bust out the trick play with a linebacker playing running back. Like I, I said this watching the replay that it kind of felt like Ryan Day played scared for a lot of the second half. And Jim Harbaugh is dropping his nuts. He's like, I've got, I, I've got everything in my bag, and I'm going to throw it out there because I, I, I don't care. I'm, we're, we're better, and we're going to beat you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Ryan Day did play scared, and I'm going to talk shit on Ryan Day too, because at this point, I think I have questions about whether Ryan Day is actually a smart football coach. Like, You're not the only one. <laughs> like gen- Genuinely, I do. There's stuff that was going on in that game that was extraordinarily puzzling. Number one, I, I don't get why you're throwing so many screens. Like, Michigan, Michigan got open. They drew pass interference calls on those shitty defensive backs. And the reason they did it was because they actually went downfield. Like, I don't understand why they don't go downfield as much as they should I think and then but the other thing I think is just like the most jarring to me is that he is scared he calls plays scared and Ohio State fans lost their minds about two decisions to punt on fourth down one in the third quarter one in the fourth I thought the third quarter was probably defensible and the fourth quarter was not when Mm -hmm. your quarterback is on the field begging you to let him go for a fourth down because he has more faith in his ability to pick that up than you do and he's out here being like come on let's go and you're like absolutely not let's not go you're taking your best unit perhaps the best single unit of offense in the country off the field to to punt you're afraid you're scared. You're playing scared. That was when I said I, I thought it was a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. That was fourth and six at right about midfield. The first one the was. The second right. one wasn't. Correct. The first one. The first one I thought was more defensible. because You're it's, down 11 the second time. Right. The, the second, second time, time yes. 11. And the second time it was fourth and three. It was also at about their 35-yard line. But there's only 11 minutes left in the game, and this is after Michigan has twice now in the second half marched the field and scored on you. At that point, you've got to be thinking – I've got limited chances here left, especially with Michigan getting the offense going more in a more sustainable way than they did in the first half. I, I think the second one they should have gone for on a fourth and three, that's if you're Ohio State and you know what your offense is and you know what your defense is, you got to take your chances on getting a fourth and three in the fourth quarter. The first one I thought was I, I probably would have punted there. That was Michigan was up four and had the touchdown drive that ended in the Colston Loveland touchdown pass just a few minutes earlier. But fourth and six it's not exactly like Michigan was getting shredded and if you give them the ball at midfield there and then they score on the short field to go up 11 you're going to get the same amount of shit you would have gotten by punting it and losing like that kind of felt like a damned if you do damned if you don't so I, that one I, I think was pretty defensible but the second one that's that to me felt 
scared. It was scared. And I just, my thing with the play calling too is like, okay, you're Michigan. For the overwhelming majority of the game, you are bringing a safety to help over the top of Marvin Harrison Jr., right? I just, there's a lot of aspects of the middle of the field that I didn't think were threatened in the way that they needed to be with that receiving core, with Ibuka and with Fleming. I just, I, I think you should be able to do better than that with those weapons. I think that Ohio State is used to being able to do better than that. But what we saw in this game was probably for the first time all year, maybe the Penn State game, you could argue, was similar. Ohio State's receivers were not substantially better athletes than the guys who were playing over them. Michigan played most of this game with Will Johnson on Marvin Harrison and a safety over the top. And that lets Will Johnson, who's your biggest corner, play physical underneath, try to take away easy short stuff, and then you've got help over the top. So if you want to go Wait, deep... Will, you have said Will Johnson on Marvin Harrison, so he's yep. not the one playing underneath, right? No, I mean, Will Johnson is playing corner, mm-hmm. and he's playing mostly safe against Marvin Harrison. And what I mean by safe is that he's taking the short stuff, and then you've got a safety playing over the top of him. They're bracketing Marvin Harrison for I most gotcha, of the I game. Gotcha. Okay. With either Rod Moore or Makari Page. So essentially... Even if Will Johnson gets beat on something, you know, Marvin Harrison makes a double move and is going deep, you've still got a guy over the top of him where you're basically going to be thrown into, into double coverage if you want to throw the ball down the field to Marvin Harrison. Michigan said, for the most part, we're going to take that away as much as we can and make your other guys beat our corners one-on-one. And Emeka Ibuka had a couple catches against Mikey, uh, Mikey Sainer still. Sainer still also had a couple huge pass breakups and for the most part was in phase with Emeka Ibuka in a way that not many people have all year. And then on the other side, you've got DJ Turner, who is one of the best corners in the Big Ten, playing one-on-one against Julian Fleming or depending on the way that they're motioning the receivers. You know, sometimes he's getting Harrison or sometimes he's getting Ibuka. But for the most part, Michigan's corners, who were tasked with playing largely one-on-one with those guys, held up. And then obviously you had the safety help on Marvin Harrison. And he, he still got his, right? He had a couple big catches, but they made the passing game a lot harder for Ohio State than they are used to. And I think that's why you didn't see the stuff in the middle of the field. Also, just strategically, I think Michigan, we saw Ohio State able to run the ball a little bit better than we expected, right? At least at first. Right, at least early in the game. And a lot of that was Michigan playing very, very soft. They essentially said, we're going to let our defensive line try to hold up against five in the box. And they did okay. They weren't getting gashed. But when you're asking your defensive tackles to not only hold up to blocks, but also make the tackles because everybody else is dropping into coverage, a lot of times you're going to end up with those guys getting dragged or you know not able to pull a guy down. You're going to get five or six yards. And we saw that a lot in the first half. And that is because Junior Colson was dropping into the middle of the field and trying to take away anything quick and saying, if you're going to get something over the field, it's going to have to develop over three to four seconds, and it's going to have to be further down the field where you're going to be throwing into a safety over the top. And that was where we saw Ohio State take a lot of stuff to the outside of, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 yards. But Michigan was making them take small chunks and do it over and over and over again. And then what happened in the red zone? They couldn't put it in. Space got constricted. And on, of all those yards they got, They scored two touchdowns, and one of them was a deep ball to Marvin Harrison on which Michigan ran a safety blitz, which was probably their only 
unnecessarily aggressive call of the game. We're kind of getting into yeah, XSL I stuff to talk here, but shit. yeah, keep talking I'm going to talk shit, shit more about Ryan Day. <laughs> Number it. one, I don't care about your measured take that Ryan Day just, you know, that don't, I don't know. You're giving Michigan credit and that's fine. Normally I would want to do that, but I want to talk shit on Ryan Day. So you're, you're by, by being measured, you're not allowing me to talk yeah, shit no, on talk Ryan shit. Day. Do it. Here's my other thing about Ryan Day. He has no fucking idea what to do when he's losing. No. Literally none. Before this game started, Matt made me watch like the last whatever couple scenes of Miracle, which I've never seen because I don't care. A little bit of context. So after last year's game, we talked about how when Michigan scored the last touchdown, the Haskins touchdown, they let Michigan score, right? With like two minutes left to go up by 15. Let Michigan score, air right. quotes. Looked exactly which the is same to say as they did every the other play in which Hassan Haskins ran through their shitty off defensive line, but fine. Correct. And I, I, at the end of that game, I said... I, I can't believe they let Michigan score there. They just backed off. There's only two minutes left. You're not going to drive the field and score two touchdowns in two minutes. There's just no way that's going to happen. Your your best chance there on a snowy field is try to hold up. Maybe Michigan fumbles. You know, maybe Michigan gets a bad snap on a field goal, and you're still within a possession. Like to me, I, I looked at that and I said Ryan Day doesn't know how to play a game from behind. He doesn't know how to handle it from a game management standpoint. And I compared it to the end of Miracle which if you've never seen the movie, it's about the U.S. beating Russia in the 1980 Olympics and the miracle on ice. And there's a great scene at the end of that movie in the last, uh, about the last minute of the game where Herb Brooks is the U.S. coach. And at this point, the U.S. is leading 3-2, to two, like huge upset on the table. And usually at the end of a hockey game, what happens if you're losing? You pull your goalie. You get an extra forward out on the ice. And you basically give yourself a power play for the last one to two minutes, depending on how aggressive you want to be. And the Soviet team, right, they didn't pull their goalie. And they show Herb Brooks and uh, talking to one of the other U.S. assistants on the bench. And he's looking over, and, he's, and they're not pulling the goalie. He says, they don't know what to do. They've never been losing. Okay, I have questions about this. Number one, did this really happen? I mean, that was how the end of the I game know that the, I know that miracle happened. I'm not stupid. But, like, did they actually not pull the goalie at the end of that game? Yeah, that's right. I've watched the real game. Okay, I have not, obviously. Question number two. Have they never been in a close game where the other team was losing? Like, how do you not know because you've seen other teams do it against you? They genuinely might not have been in a close game in the past several years. I'm I mean, very this is, confused about this situation. Like, this was a Soviet team that beat the NHL All-Star team, like, 10-2 to 2 just before the Olympics in an exhibition game. Okay, this was enough. not a team that got challenged by so, anybody. So, like, no one's even bothering to pull the goalie? And that's what we're talking about. Ohio State came into this game as the only team in the country that had won every game by— Oh, no, I'm sorry. They hadn't won every game by double digits because they had the same as Michigan against Illinois, right? Where Maryland finished within— No, because Maryland was down three. Do you remember? No, Ohio State kicked the field to go, go up six. And then Maryland had the— the pick or the fumble when Tagovailoa got sacked. And so they did lose so they by did, double digits. Okay, so Ohio State had won every game by double digits. But generally speaking, the point still stands that I just think after the last two years, like, sure, Ohio State has now been in a couple close-ish games. But when I watch Ryan Day, I still do not think he knows how to handle a close game. And this was most evident in the last few minutes, right, when Taylor Upshaw gets the interception. Right, with about four minutes to go, and Michigan has the ball. This is right before Donovan Edwards breaks one of his— Yeah, the 85-yard touchdown yeah, run to make it 45-23. And at this point, take your timeouts. Right, Ohio State has all three timeouts left. And Michigan's running on first and second down, and Ohio State's not taking timeouts. The, like, the clock is ticking at under three and a half minutes. With Ohio State down 15 and not having the ball, and they're not using their timeouts. Like, this is a person who does not know how to handle an end-of-game situation where he is losing. 
just flat out doesn't get it. Literally no idea. No clue. And you can say he waved the white flag. That's even softer. But like, yeah. he either doesn't know what he's doing or he's soft. Or he's conceding defeat repeatedly yeah. to Michigan. Right. <laughs> like, like, either one of those looks great for you. That sucks. Like, I was flabbergasted. At, and this is like coming from a fan of a team whose coach makes baffling in-game decisions from time to time as well. So like, I know what that shit looks like when I see it. Yeah. And man, no idea what to do. Like totally clueless. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean the, uh, Ohio state world. Oh my God. The Ryan day takes have been absolutely in the stratosphere. <laughs> because One more thing. One more thing. Go for it. These fans, I guess these, that's like, it's related. But they're just like their team. They're just like them. Literally, you're watching the game, and they think every single time their receiver does not come down with the ball, he's interfered with. They literally don't even know what coverage looks like, I think, because they're so used to their receivers torching everyone. Right. They literally do not know what it looks like to cover. They wanted it on that Stover, the, the amazing play from Mikey, where he rakes the ball out. And oh, the, yeah, we're going to talk about that. They wanted it on that. Like, my guy. The whole point of the amazing rakeout is that he is behind your guy. He gets there later than him. That he doesn't happened, have a body on him at that point. Yeah, I was going to say that happened two other times with Sainer still, too, where he was right on a guy running his route and purposely like moved his hand away so it was not in a position to interfere. He was not in contact with the guy, and the fans start booing because you're right. This is a, a fan base that if a guy so is – If there is a contested catch, they assume it is pass interference. The guy's not wide open. By definition, you are interfering. And that is such soft-ass shit. <laughs> Unbelievable. They wanted it on every single play. Every single play. And then when they got examples of what actual pass interference looks like, like <laughs> with, that with ridiculous play over. with Cornelius Johnson, the one that, where yeah. he draws the PI, where it's like two guys, no one's looking for the ball. They're like yanking him down. And then Ronnie Bell in the end zone. That one's debatable. I'm a little flabbergasted we got that call, frankly. Yep. But these people, they like... That is the softest shit of all time. If it's not going perfectly for us, if it's not going perfectly for us, and we're not coming down with every ball on the planet, it's because you've interfered with me. And speaking like, of us, if oh stuff doesn't God. go perfectly for us, I mean, this is twice in a row now where when Ohio State has gotten into a tough game where the other team has started to pound on them a little bit, they implode with unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, ripping guys' helmets off, headbutting guys now. The the uh, uh, G. Scott penalty right after Ohio State's taken possession at midfield, right? And they've got a chance to take the lead. And what does this guy do? He runs over to Rod Moore out of bounds and headbutts him with, n like, no engagement or interaction from Rod Moore whatsoever. These guys, they think that toughness is throwing punches, hitting guys after the play. Absolutely. Their idea of toughness is after the whistle, and that's not how football toughness works. Yeah, they absolutely – it was the first thing I said when I saw that penalty come out. I was like, this guy thinks that that is a substitute for playing tough. He thinks those are the same thing, and he doesn't realize they're different. And, man, that's something. That was – I was like, yep, exactly the same. And it happened last year, too. I mean – the, it was Cam Brown ripping Cam Roman Wilson's Brown. helmet off in the end zone. And Roman Wilson is laughing in his face. And the same thing happened this year. Rod Moore gets the headbutt. And what does he do? He, he doesn't react at all. All he does is look over to the official and start gesturing for a for flag. flag. Like, hey, you got me, guy. You saw that. 
they, they implode. They don't know how to handle adversity. None. No idea. Second year in a row. It's, it's soft. We talked about it uh, on the preview episode, right? Where we were saying uh, Ari Wasserman, who's the, the former Ohio State writer who now works for The Athletic, still a, a big-time homer. But he talked about going into this game how, like, well, if Michigan has to throw the ball, they can. It, was a, it was honestly a pretty reasonable and logical take. But he kind of gave the two different sides of it. And he said, if Michigan has to throw the ball, honestly, I, I haven't seen any evidence that they can do that. And I kind of think if Corum isn't healthy, I have a really hard time seeing Michigan keeping up. And on the other side, I've seen Ohio State playing soft, grab-ass football for a long time now. And at some point, you kind of just have to believe that this is a grab-ass football program because when someone tells you what they are, believe them. Ohio State is a soft, grab-ass football program. There is no question about it. Like we said a few minutes ago, you have been defined. You are what you are. I think that's a good place to finish the shit talk. There will be more intermittent shit talk. As we talk about individual plays, I will continue to shit talk, but man. We can talk more about actual football, I suppose. Do we have to? I would (laughs) almost rather just shit talk. Like you said, there will be plenty of opportunities for more. Okay. Let's talk about the actual game. I think Matt and I, we just finished a rewatch of it, and we kind of saw it as like a three-act play, frankly. Act one was the defense's act. That was the treading water act. Yeah, Michigan's offense in about the first quarter and a half, I mean, there was just really very, very little there, especially once they realized Coram couldn't go. It took them some time to figure out what they could do and how they could attack Ohio State's defense. And there were several chances. Ohio State had the ball three times with a chance to go up two scores or more late in the first quarter and into the early second quarter. And they couldn't do it. The defense held up just long enough to keep Michigan in the game. So that's act one. Do you want to walk through the other two acts? Yeah, the act two, I think, is the JJ and the receivers act. Self-explanatory. We've talked about it a little bit already. And then act three is the pouring it on act. Act three is the... The running game really putting it away with Ohio State now having to be more aggressive again in the run game after they had... um, you know, kind of gotten gotten roasted a few times in the passing game. They were trying to figure out, okay, how do we not have that happen? But also now we're losing. How do we stop Michigan from running out the clock? Now they're starting to get the ground game going. It was really Michigan putting it away with big plays in the run game and doing really what they have done to almost everybody all year. We didn't think they could do it to Ohio State, or at least a lot of people didn't think they could do it to Ohio State the same way they had to less talented programs. And yet, the second half looked a lot like all of Michigan's other second halves for the last six weeks. Yeah, there were really two plays in the first act that stood out to me. The first was with about 12 minutes left in the second quarter. Um, I think at this point, Michigan is down 10 to 3. And Ohio State's trying to convert a fourth down. It's fourth and two. And that's the play where they target Stover. And uh, Jalen Harrell just kind of runs him down. And he does an incredible job on that play of, contrary to the belief of every Ohio State fan in the stadium, waiting until the ball is on Stover before he starts bringing him down. And that process is enough that the ball comes loose. Yeah, Stover was kind of juggling it. But if he hadn't been impacted from behind, it looked like he was going to be able to control it. And then just as he starts juggling it, Harrell hits him from behind and drags him down, and the ball falls behind him in a way where he obviously can't corral it. And that was a huge play. I mean, just to reiterate, so Ohio State scores on the opening possession. Michigan answers with a field goal. And then, again, Ohio State has three possessions with a chance to go up two scores. 
The first one, they get the field goal. The second one, they get stopped on downs with the caged over incompletion. And then on the next possession, they go they go four and out. And it, it just felt for a while there like that game was hanging by a thread. And we're watching Michigan's offense and saying, man. It, they it, have one rushing yard. Right, Michigan has Jesus. one rushing yard at this point. There's no quorum. Or it's obvious that quorum can't really go. Edwards has hardly done anything of note. I mean, they're rotating C.J. Stokes in. And it just feels like there's not really anything there and that it is what we feared it was going to be without quorum, and especially if you don't have quorum or Edwards. And it felt like it was hanging by a thread and that at any point Ohio State was going to rip off a big play and it was going to be 17-3. to And all of a sudden they're in control of the game in a way where Michigan – can't really play it the way they want to play it and it starts to get away from you and the defense really really came up big with uh, the the couple of stops there I think you know you highlighted the big one with with Cade Stover there was also on the possession before that where Ohio State got the field goal to go up 10-3 they drove inside the 10-yard line and uh, there was a third down play where they tried to throw an out to Emeka Ibuka coming out of the slot and Mikey Sainer still jumped it. I mean, he ran the route for him, jumped the route, and if it was a catchable ball, it might be a pick six. Instead, he throws it over both of their heads, and Ohio State has to settle for the field goal. So just a, a couple of fantastic plays there, and I think you had one more that you wanted to highlight during this part of the game. Yeah, it was with about nine minutes or just a little over nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Again, Ohio State is threatening. And... Mozzie, it's third and five. Mozzie Smith and Chris Jenkins both kind of beat their guy one-on-one to get enough pressure outside that CJ Stroud's targeting uh, Xavier Johnson on that play, and mm-hmm. he just kind of he just kind of sails it. Right. He's thrown off his back foot because he's got pressure, and it sails over his head, and, and, and the defense gets off the field again. And, yeah, after that first drive and, uh, and the way Michigan's offense was struggling, it was just immeasurably huge for Michigan to still be in a position where – in Act 2, they had a chance with one play to be in a tie game and get Ohio State feeling tight. Yeah, being down multiple scores, of course, would have changed the entire complexion of the game, not only from Michigan's perspective of, okay, now we're playing from behind what's left in our, our toolbox, considerably from behind, like not one score behind. Right. But, you know, what's left in our toolbox that we can use in this situation and also... I think Ohio State played scared. I think they got tight. I thought they were all puckered up. I thought they were afraid. And that doesn't happen if you're up two scores. I think they would have played loose. I think Ryan Day might have been more aggressive in situations where he wasn't. Like, it just... They also might have been more conservative on defense. Said they don't have much of a running game. And we're up 17-3. to Like, just make sure you don't get beat deep. And if you take away a couple of those big Michigan pass plays in the second quarter, I don't know what this game looks like. But, yeah, I mean, they were fortunate... And it's a, a huge testament to the defense that they were in position to uh, to actually take the lead in the second quarter, given how the first half had gone up to that point. Totally. I, it felt like we, we called this out when it happened. It felt like the Penn State game in reverse. Like we were Penn State. Correct. Where it Michigan was like, had four first downs at halftime. I believe Ohio State had 16. I mean, yardage was a lot to not that much. And yet it's 20 to 17 and you're in position where you just have to go out and win the second half and win the game. It was, uh, yeah, I think the Penn State game was a, a good corollary for that. And we saw Michigan totally take control in the second half because the second half went basically just like the first half in Ohio State, or I'm sorry, Penn State in that game didn't get the couple of big plays they had in the first half. And Michigan continued basically dominating on offense the way they had been. And 
I mean, kind of the same thing happened here, except this time it was Michigan again in control after Michigan being on the Penn State side of things in the first half. But I think that's a good segue into Act 2 and, and kind of how Michigan took control of this game, which is really J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, it's J.J. McCarthy and Cornelius Johnson. It starts with just an incredible play by J.J. And Cornelius Johnson, you know, a little fortunate because the Ohio State defender who's trying to bring him down grabs his towel instead of his jersey. And then when the towel comes out, he's gone. He kind of spins out of it. But J.J. McCarthy, seven and a half minutes left in the second quarter, and Ohio State brings pressure, a lot of it. They dial up a double A-gap blitz. Right, he's got two guys coming in, one of them unblocked because the running back can only pick up one guy. So he's got a guy coming right up the middle, right in his face, and he turns and hits Cornelius Johnson, almost blind throw, right between the numbers in a way that Johnson can corral it, recognize where the defender is, and spin away. And all of a sudden, after all of what we just talked about in the first quarter and a half, it's a tie game. And like I said, that's when you started to feel Ohio State tense up. I don't know if... I imagine there's a lot of Michigan fans on this podcast who are familiar with the uh, Mike Valenti Notre Dame Michigan State rant. If you haven't ever heard it, please just look it up on YouTube because it's one of the most entertaining things you'll ever hear in your life. I don't like to give Valenti the attention. <laughs> I don't think he deserves. It's totally it. fair. He, you know, he's he's a, a unabashed homer who's incredibly obnoxious to listen to. But this is a pure like Schadenfreude situation where Michigan State, I think it was 2007. They blew a game to Notre Dame where they were up like 17 in the second half, and it turned into a rainstorm, and Michigan State turns the ball over like four times. Oh, this is the same rant as the five wide in the monsoon? Correct. They're running oh. the option in Hurricane Katrina. It's, it's just a, a bounty of incredible quotes from Mike Valenti. And at one point, he starts talking about how when the game gets close, the Michigan State coaches and players start puckering up. It's pucker, 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 pucker. I cannot believe I'm getting a Mike Valenti impression. <laughs> Jesus. But that's what it felt like in this game. When Michigan scored to make it 10 to 10, you could just feel everything in the stadium, and you could see it on Ohio State's sideline. It was pucker, pucker, pucker. Everybody was tight, and all of a sudden it was like, God damn it, all the pressure is on us. We should be winning this game comfortably and it's tied, fuck. Like, you could just feel all of that. To me, that was that was the turning point of the game. Michigan went from having nothing on offense to being in a tie game, and Ohio State having just the pressure reaching a collapsing level for them, a crushing level. And, I mean, they didn't fall apart immediately, but you could just feel that as the game went along. Every big play for Michigan was just crushing for them. And... So anyway, just wanted to kind of make that point as a like a general overarching point. But to come back to the sort of act two and, and how Michigan won this game, again, J.J. McCarthy for essentially the second and third quarter took control of this game. And you could argue it was better than C.J. Stroud. That's a pretty hot take. I am going to argue it, and here's why I'm going to argue it. There were multiple times in this game where – Michigan is doing their thing where they have their four, their down linemen and they, everybody else is playing far back because of this dumb receiving core that I'm sick of hearing about. <laughs> and there are multiple times where Stroud could take seven, eight yards if he just moved. Oh, yeah, because, oh, right, Michigan's dropping guys deep. They've got four guys rushing, and he's got a, a he's lane got a the size w- of a semi carved out in front of him. Wide open fucking lane, and he won't take it. He won't take it. 
And I get it in some ways because it's like you average 10 yards like nine and a half yards in attempt for the season. Fucking throw the ball. Yeah. I get it. But go get those yards. This game is on the line. Go get the fucking yards. J.J. McCarthy would never. J.J. McCarthy is going to lower his shoulder into your safety and drag him for seven yards. J.J. McCarthy slaps. He's grittier, and he will be better. Oh, 100%. I mean... I stand by it. We, <laughs> that's a hot take. We but... listened to the fucking bucket problem. Oh, yes. We love the bucket problem. We really do. Like, huge, huge fans of it. But we listened to the preview podcast that they did with, you know, it's meet at midfield, and they have the Ohio State kind of side of things. They've got the Michigan side of things. And we love the Michigan side of things and pay almost no mind to the Ohio State side of things all the time. However, they did a preview podcast where they brought Ryan, one of the Ohio State writers, to do a preview episode with Dan, a.k.a. Thickstowskis. And the take he gave us about J.J. McCarthy. Oh, God, it was so good. Matt was so incensed when he heard this we were listening to it in the car on the drive back from my parents house for thanksgiving to chicago for the game and matt i'll I'll let you do the honors (laughs) i mean he's talking about michigan's passing game and uh, like i was talking about with ari wasserman i I don't think it was unreasonable to say we have not seen michigan's passing game produce in a way that if they get put in a position where that has to win the game yeah that's just a fact there's very little evidence to show that they can do it but i think he went a step farther than that because what he said and i quote is this might sound like shit talk, but J.J. McCarthy's a bad quarterback. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He started with J.J. McCarthy sucks. J.J. McCarthy sucks. I think he's a bad quarterback. And I was just beside myself. I'm like, this is this is a non-ball knower take right here. Like, Michigan's passing game has had issues, but this is not a Joe Milton situation where it's like, oh, this guy's inaccurate. He, he Deer in the headlights. He doesn't know what's going on in front of him. Like, Michigan's been close on a lot of stuff. And J.J.'s been probably the best part of the passing game for most of the past month, even amid all its issues and struggles. It's not to say he's been perfect. He's missed plenty of deep throws, some open guys that you would have really liked to see him hit to have more confidence going into this game. But, man, I I was beside myself when I heard that. And then J.J. McCarthy spends the middle two quarters of this game just torching Ohio State over the top. They said, we're going to put nine in the box, beat us down the field. Dare. And J.J. said bet. And J.J. fucking did it. He was that dude in this game. I mean, he stands in and makes the throw to Cornelius Johnson, right, with the double-A gut blitz right in his face on third and nine. And he puts that throw right on the numbers, and it turns into a touchdown. And then they run the play action that I was talking about, right, the, uh, the Cornelius Johnson double move. They say, okay, we're going to put a guy back in zone. You know, we've got one guy back there. Try to beat us down the field. And he puts it right in stride for Cornelius Johnson, 50 yards downfield. We've been talking for weeks. Can we hit a deep ball? I don't know if we can hit a deep ball. I haven't shown any ability for the receivers to get separation or for J.J. to throw it accurately. And there were multiple in this game that he put right in the fucking basket. And it just it, every time he's doing this, the Colson Loveland one right after that, right, where he's got Colson Lovin on the wheel route, and he's got about three yards of separation. He puts it right over his shoulder, in stride, and he strolls into the end zone. And I'm going, J.J. McCarthy sucks. He's a bad quarterback. Like He did it all game long, <laughs> literally every single time. It was it just was an very unbelievable take. Like It was not only a bad take in the moment, but then watching J.J. McCarthy just prove it wrong, like inexorably wrong, over and over and over. It was so satisfying. And then on top of that, I mean, the play you just talked about where – I believe it was a, a second and 10. And 
JJ scrambles out of the pocket, kind of, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a hole between tackle and guard, right? And he scrambles, and he's got eight or nine yards, and he, he could slide, right? He could put him in a third and one, which Michigan can probably get. But no, he puts his shoulder down, he plows into a guy, they start trying to strip the ball out, and he drags that guy eight more yards. That's my fucking quarterback. That's my fucking quarterback. He was not going down without getting a first down. He was not leaving any yards on the field in this game. And then that's early what fourth I want. quarter. That's why, I mean, like, right. I'm obviously not a, like a fucking idiot. I know CJ Stroud is very, very good. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> He's probably going to be a top two pick I'm in the draft. I'm not stupid. Well, I watched him drop absolute dimes to Marvin Harrison in this game. His accuracy is unbelievable. But he's missing fight. He doesn't have fight. And, like, I don't know. I would take a worse arm on a quarterback that has fight over that. I just would. I, like, it's a team sport. He doesn't want to get hit, basically. I mean, C.J. Stroud does not want to get hit. And Ohio State fans will tell you the same thing. Like, he, when he scrambles, he scrambles J. J. to get McCarthy's out of bounds. McCarthy's lowering his shoulder into your linebackers and safeties. He's awesome. Well, that's what I was going to get to was – Late third quarter, Michigan's driving, right? And they've got a chance to go up two scores. Wait, before you do that, I do want to say, on that play, Mm -hmm. the second and 10, when J.J. picks up 18, right? Immediately after he extends that drive is the Loveland touchdown. That's right. It's the next play. It's the very next play. And that's the point. You go win those battles, and then you put yourself in a position to get points on the very... You're rewarded for that. Like, karmic justice. On third and one, you're probably not running a double play action reverse to set up a touchdown. And if you don't get that first down, who knows if you have the chance to run that play again or to set up that touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, that was huge. And then what I was going to say also was Michigan's got the ball up four, late third quarter. They're driving. It actually extends into the early fourth quarter. And they get down inside the five-yard line after the uh, the play action. Uh, I'm sorry, the pass interference on Ronnie Bell, where Michigan does get the call, which I, I was very surprised they got that call. That was, a, I think, a third and goal, right? It was 3rd and 11. 3rd and 11, okay. Yeah, they were in the red zone, but it was 3rd and 11. 3rd and 11, right. And and J.J. gets some pressure, and he kind of throws a jump ball up to the back of the end zone to Ronnie Bell. And, I mean, he does get interfered with. Like, there's pass interference there because the guy runs into him without looking back at the ball. But also, the ball's pretty high, and Ronnie Bell doesn't really go up with both hands, even though the defender doesn't actually impede his arms in a meaningful way. He kind of goes up in a, like, desperation... I'm going for it, but I'm mostly going for the flag here to like to show you that I'm up here with in, in the range of catching the ball, but I'm not actually going to catch it. And they get the PI flag, which that's a flag you don't see often in Columbus for a Michigan team. I mean, shit, we've we've talked to death all the excruciating officiating performances in Columbus over the years. But anyway, Michigan gets the first down there, and then they hand off to Donovan Edwards, and he gets nothing from the three-yard line, right? Mm -hmm. They take Edwards out and they put in Isaiah Gash, which is a very obvious pass tip because, I mean, last week against Illinois, we saw Isaiah Gash a lot, and for the most part, they were using him as as a receiver, right? That was why he was out there, was to be the receiving option because they didn't really have a running game the way Illinois was playing it. And so they said, just going to put our best receiving option out of the backfield out there with no quorum and no Edwards. And they run play action in Ohio State's all over it. It was kind of a tipped play. I didn't love the play call. So it's third and three. They're third and goal from the three. And what do they do? They call JJ on a quarterback power. And he's got this actually pretty well blocked. I mean, he's got Keegan in front of him and Zinter coming from the inside. 
and it looks like he can kind of cut up behind Keegan and get into the end zone. And what does he do? He runs right past Keegan and puts his fucking shoulder into Ronnie Hickman at the one-yard line and blasts him into the end zone. And I feel like that was the moment when you could just see Ohio State's defense, like, collapse in the moment. Like, they were so dejected. Like, okay, we can hold up here. We get a third down stop, keep it within a score. And all of a sudden, J.J. McCarthy is running over your safety to get into the end zone and go up two scores. Like, that to me was when, like, that was when the light went out for them. And J.J. McCarthy did that. I love it. I love him. I love our Zen King. <laughs> our Zen King. He was a warrior in a garden. <laughs> he was. I could not believe. I mean, there were just so many moments in this game, even early when he, he had a couple missed throws. You could tell early on in the first quarter when the offense was struggling. I think he had just a lot of nerves where There's everything the one was where he was high over Ronnie Bell. Right. Yep. And another one where he was a little high and a little outside to uh, to Cornelius Johnson. It looked like he was getting rid of the ball a little bit fast before guys were quite in, in and out of their breaks and a little bit hard before they could get, you know, fully turned around and be in position to catch it. And I think that was just nerves. But, man, every time they showed J.J. McCarthy, you know, he's, he's running the ball, he's getting hit, you know, blasted at the sidelines, or, you know, he, he's throwing the ball down the field. And they're showing, like, the, the close-up, you know, Fox, like, Poro cam, where you can, you know, it's, I don't know why it's so close-up, but, like, you can see their mouth guards. Did you in. call it a Poro cam? I think that's so, a, it might be an MGO blog term. I feel like I've seen that somewhere. See Correct. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. I don't every time they show JJ McCarthy, everyone. just take care of your skin. <laughs> but every time they show JJ McCarthy, he's just out there like smiling, you know, laughing. He's cool as a fucking cucumber in this moment where, I mean, both of us spend the entire game like pacing around, sweating through our shirts, and JJ McCarthy's out there just being that dude and looking like he's at a fucking symphony. Like, I don't know how he does it, but my God, it was. The it's a very jubilant symphony. I, I don't know what kind of symphonies you attend, but but no, it, it's right. I mean, he had so much composure for a 19-year-old who Unbelievable. has never really, I mean, had the weight of this game on his shoulders last year. It was, you know, Cade McNamara mostly, and, right. and of course, Hassan Haskins, who really was the load bearer in that game. But yeah, wild. And that's not to say, I mean, that act was the J.J. McCarthy act, you know, the, that time between the end of or like early to mid second quarter and into the fourth was really the JJ McCarthy show but that's not to say that the defense didn't make some incredible plays there there was one thing we wanted to call it that I know we didn't love which was Ohio State did take the lead back after the second Cornelius Johnson touchdown on a beautiful ball to Marvin Harrison just like an absolutely gorgeous ball in which um in which we blitzed a safety yeah, it was rod Bohr came and from about 12 yards deep ball. off the line yeah that's we've seen michigan do that maybe i can think of maybe like twice earlier in the year when we've seen them try to run that safety blitz and it just hasn't really worked because the safety starts at actual safety depth it's not the kind of blitz where the guy's like up at the line you've got some amoeba situation you're bringing him in place of a, a linebacker or a defensive end it's a guy actually coming from safety depth, like 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. And on that play, I mean, C.J. Stroud releases the ball and Rod Moore is just past the line of scrimmage. Like, he just doesn't have time for the desired effect of that blitz to, to come to fruition. Like, it takes too long to get there. And if you've got, say, some immediate pressure coming from around the edge where you're forcing him to step up into that, 
then maybe that can work. But Michigan just doesn't really have that. They don't have a guy who's regularly roasting an offensive tackle around the edge and getting pressure like a, an Ojabo or a Hutchinson. Obviously, we saw a lot of last year. And so what you ended up with then was slow pressure and Marvin Harrison one-on-one down the field with Jemin Green. And Green actually was in pretty good position. I mean, he was more or less in stride with Harrison, but right at the last second, Harrison does the the very savvy thing where he uses his arm to kind of swim or almost a mini push-off, but like a very subtle one where he's more like pushing Jemin Green's arm down just to give himself that, that step of separation. And the ball's you know right in stride over his shoulder for a touchdown. And that was one where I just kind of had to tip my cap and say, like, that's a great throw, and if you're going to single up Marvin Harrison, that's the chance you're going to take. Now, please don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, we don't just... want to see that at any point during this game ever again. And for the most part, we didn't. I mean, they pretty much kept the safety over the top the whole rest of the day, and, I mean, Stroud was effective, but, like, even though Marvin Harrison is, is the best receiver in the country this year, and he had the uh, the 40-yard touchdown— he finished with seven catches for 120 yards, which if you told me that, you know, outside of that, he only has six other catches at about 12 yards a pop, that's survivable. And that was what Michigan tried to do was survive that. Don't give them the big play. Make them continue to execute in the passing game, including when space gets more constrained in the red zone. And, I mean, that was the last touchdown Ohio State had. They kind of did this against every good receiver they played this year. Right at some point or not, they did it to Keon Coleman. Right, yep, that stood out as right. he beat him deep a couple times early in the game, and they said, "Fine, we're just going to put a safety over the top and take that away." Do you and think we that's don't think... practice? Like, do you think they were just like we're playing Marvin Harrison at some point this year, and we want our guys to be really comfortable in this situation? I don't think so. I think to me that was more they wanted to give their guys a chance one on one. Like, say, okay, I think DJ Turner or Jemin Green can hold up against Keon Coleman. And when they realize that, okay, that's not going very well, and frankly, they don't have much else, just take that away and finish suffocating them. Like, when that's all you've got, take it away and make them do the harder stuff. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where when Michigan did that, and sure, Marvin Harrison got his yards. He had the touchdown and six other catches for 80 yards. But outside of that, I mean, Igbuka didn't shred them. Julian Fleming did very little. Cade Stover did very little. Cade Stover had 13 receiving yards. Julian Fleming had 40. Like, these are very pedestrian numbers. And Michigan said, we're going to make those guys beat us against our good corners. If Julian Fleming and Emeka Ibuka can regularly be beating DJ Turner and Mike Sainra still, then, okay, like, that's that's the game we've got. But we're not going to let Marvin Harrison beat us. And for the most part, the corners held up very, very well against those guys. You know, they got their yards when Michigan was playing to take away deep shots. Like I said, a lot of, you know, eight, ten yard outs, but make them bleed you down the field. And when they got in the red zone or when they got, you know, in, inside the Michigan 35-yard line, basically, in space starts getting more constricted because you don't have to play safeties deep, they couldn't finish drives. It was a lot like last year. And I guess that kind of brings us into the, the latter stages of the game here. I think in uh, in Act Three. Act Three, which was was it the most fun? Oh yeah. Well, Act Two was pretty fun. It's hard. But Act Three was when it was really putting your foot on their throat. The thing about it is, I am so awestruck. I'm still awestruck at the way this game played out. 
because we kind of Ohio stated Ohio State. And that's the thing that I really am struggling to wrap my brain around, which is to say what Ohio State does is they big play you to death. Yeah. They they hit you for 60-yard touchdowns, and before you know it, you're down 30. And you're like, fuck. You know? Like, <laughs> yep. that's how it goes for everyone. And Michigan had, like, I don't even know how many 50-yard touchdowns in this game. It was... Well, it was five touchdowns of 45 or more yards, including, like I mentioned at the beginning, their four longest of the season. 69, 75, 75, like, 85. that's a trip. That's how Ohio State beats people. That's not how we beat people. And yep. it's wild to me because, you know, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson talked about this a ton during the broadcast, but especially early, they were like... You know, Michigan doesn't want to run a track meet with Ohio State. They don't want to run a track meet. And he, they're right. We don't want to run a track meet with Ohio State because we, we don't want we don't want them dictating the pace of play. We don't want to have to play their game. That's just not really Michigan style but in we general. We did for a while. And then our game, like when, when our style finally won out, which is kind of what we're calling mm-hmm. Act 3, it was still kind of a track meet. It was just of a different variety, right? Because it was it was just Donovan Edwards. If you're going to play nine that close to the line, nobody is there. If he breaks through the second level, it's sayonara. It's, he's gone. Yeah, I kind of want to talk about the, the transition here because so the end of what we were calling Act 2, right? Like when JJ kind of took over the game, you saw on that drive at the end of the third quarter when Michigan was up four, Ohio State noticeably softened. And all of a sudden, Donovan Edwards is starting to, to get some chunks. He's getting six yards on first down, getting nine yards. Like, And a couple of those were soft in the coverage sense, and a couple of them were Ohio State really overreacting to the, the threat of a J.J. keep. And it was his runs earlier in the game, his arm and legs that were opening up all of that. And it was finally, okay, we have to respect the pass and the J.J. keeper. And then Michigan got the run game going. And it was that six-minute drive that spanned into the early fourth quarter when you started to see that Ohio State softening up. And then all of a sudden they're down 11, right? They end up getting a field goal shortly after that, right, with about, uh, what was it, eight, eight minutes left, I think, when they kicked the field goal to get within eight make it a one-score game again? Yeah, I mean, that would have been after the Mikey pass breakup, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Which so we was can... an incredible, incredible play. Absolutely huge play. It was funny re-watching because Joel Klatt was talking about their conversation with Jesse Minter before the game, and he was saying Minter talked a lot about having to make quote-unquote four-point plays, which is they're going to get yards, they're going to get in the red zone, can you make a play that turns a touchdown into a field goal on defense? And, man, that was the absolute definition. Just watching (laughs) that play by Mikey Sainer still was, to me, just I think this is, like, cliche and largely not a real thing. But that was the definition of a he-wanted-it-more play. When C.J. Stroud releases that ball as he's kind of drifting backwards, getting some pressure, it's, uh, what, third and, say, like, third and four? Something like that. From inside the 10-yard line, right? And they've got, uh, essentially, they're running crossers. In particular, Cade Stover running from the right side of the line all the way across the field. And off the snap, they threaten a little flare pass to Emeka Ibuka out of the backfield, like a, a bubble screen, sort of, to the right side. And Mikey kind of freezes on that. Like, he sees it, and he hesitates, and Cade Stover is running the opposite direction. And that's Mikey's man. And so 
as Stroud, you know, kind of pulls down that pump fake and is dropping back, Mikey sees what's happening and he's like, oh shit, I got to haul ass to get on that guy. But he's about three yards behind when that ball is released. And it's lofted pretty high right up to the front corner of the end zone. And Kate Stover has six inches and 60 pounds on what Mike Sainter still is listed at, which is probably generous. <laughs> In fairness, Stover is probably listed generously too. Everybody kind of is. He right? looks like a pretty big, I mean, he's listed he's at 6'4", 255, yeah, no which to me, he looks about 6'4". He's a big dude. But uh, either way, I mean, he's got probably a full six inches on Mike Sainter still. And Mikey gets in, and Mikey knows exactly what he's going to do, right, when Stover's going up for that ball. Because he's not lunging at his waist trying to tackle him or trying to, you know, shove him out of bounds. He's saying, I can go up and scrape that ball out. And I'm still, he's still like a yard away, but he timed it absolutely perfectly, got up just as Stover's, you know, getting both hands on the ball and rakes it out from behind. And that might be the defensive play of the game. I mean, it's my favorite play of the game. I picked a favorite. I do that in, in big games where I'm like, that's my favorite play yeah. of the game. Last year in the Ohio State game, I said this on Twitter, but it was that play early in the second half where it feels like, okay, Ohio State's about to retake the lead. They've got the ball. It's third and two. They're, if, like, if they pick this up, they're going to be creeping into field goal range pretty soon. It's going to be points. And then Josh Ross just shoots like a fucking cannon through the line, and it's a TFL. Right, and Ohio State's punting, and Michigan takes the lead never to give never it up after Never to relinquish it after that. And that was my favorite play of that game. I love that play. I don't know why. It's just, I just loved it. He just read it so well, and it just stuck with me. It just, it just kind of embedded itself in mm-hmm. my heart as my favorite play from last year's game. This is my favorite play from this year's game, and it's not close. It's not close. I don't know that it was necessarily the most important play. I think you're right that the first touchdown, the Cornelius Johnson touchdown, is probably the inflection. Like, uh, this game probably had multiple inflection points, but that was, I think, the most important one because it was the thing that kept this game, kept us within striking distance when we were really just treading water. But that Mikey play is my favorite play of the game. I love it. So it's it's endeared itself to me so quickly. I love it so much. I love him so much. I just, it's great. Yeah, Mikey was unbelievable in this game. I mean, like we were just talking about, he was matched up with the Mecca Ibuka pretty regularly and really held his own in that matchup against one of the best slot receivers in the country. I asked you this yesterday. Do you think he had the toughest assignment in this game in that regard? Because like, okay, Harrison is fine, but like, you're getting help on Harrison, right? Like there is a safety playing over the top of Harrison most of the time. And that's obviously not true for everybody else, right? There are only so many players on your field. So I asked you, do you think that Mikey had the single like hardest one-on-one assignment in this game? Yeah, I think that's a close call, but he's definitely in the conversation. I was just going to say, reflecting back on it being, you know, one of the more important plays of the game, as I think more about it, like Michigan was up 11 and then scores almost immediately on the first of the two long Donovan Edwards touchdown runs. So it may not have made that much of a difference, but it was just another play that to me, you could kind of feel like you could just feel that crushingness for Ohio state where it was like, okay, we got down 11, but we're, we're marching right down the field. We're going to put it in the end zone. We're going to take the momentum. And, and then all of a sudden a play that looks like a touchdown a guy who has no business making a play on the ball comes flying in and knocks it out, and you have to settle for a field goal where it's like you're still down eight, and even if you score, you got to get the two-point conversion, and you have to stop them. Like, It felt like a huge swing, even if it 
probably didn't really end up mattering all that much in the outcome. Well, yeah, because Donovan Edwards is in the end zone like 12 seconds Correct, later. yes. But anyway, um, to your point, I, I think that's fair, that Mikey might have had the toughest individual matchup on anybody of anybody on defense, with the other candidates for me being Mozzie Smith and Chris Jenkins, because Michigan really did play this game very light in the box and said, if you want to run, run. Our defensive tackles will hold up well enough that you won't want to continue doing it. And that sort of worked. Like, they didn't, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, they didn't really get gashed. But Ohio State was moving the ball relatively effectively. Can for, I ask more of reasons? Maybe this is, I'm, I'm processing in real mm-hmm. time. Is this another reason for me to talk shit about Ryan Day? Because I think... I think he kind of my quintessential example of this is actually Paul Christ mm-hmm. in the 2018 Michigan Wisconsin game. I was at this game, and Wisconsin gets down like one score, like one score. Like mm-hmm. wasn't even a lot of points. That the first half that game ended up being like 38-13 Michigan. Michigan yeah. like blew them out by the end of it. But at halftime that game was close, and you have Jonathan Taylor at that point and he's Jonathan Taylor he's getting like six yards a carry right like and for whatever reason in the second half Paul Christ is like nah I'm gonna throw it with like whatever fucking Alex noodle. Hornibrook yeah whatever they're all Alex Hornibrook to me yeah, we're gonna I don't throw know it 35 if it literally times Alex. was no, it Alex was. Hornibrook yeah. they're all Alex Hornibrook it doesn't matter every Wisconsin quarterback is Alex Hornibrook I don't care who he actually is but like it might have actually sure it, Alex it was Hornibrook. actually Alex Hornibrook. he knows yeah, I'm pretty sure he, he's he's confident I'm not confident they're all the same but like they were like, he's like I'm just gonna start passing because it's like he just they just it's not what they want to do I, and but it's it was weird in that situation because it's Wisconsin and running the ball is exactly right. what they want to do but like for Ohio State it was like they panicked for Wisconsin that yeah game. it was this like game I don't think Ohio State panicked I don't think Ryan Day panicked he just doesn't want to do he it. he doesn't want to run the ball he can't he's being gifted yards and he will not take them this is in the DNA of both Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley when I watch those teams they don't want to run the ball and for the most part, that's fine because if you can average, you know, nine yards a pass, nine yards an attempt with elite quarterbacks, that's a lot better than you can do on the ground. But when occasionally you get into a game against a defense that can hold up and force some incompletions and put you in tough spots where you have to complete passes at a reasonably high percentage and they have the defensive backs to hold up against your receivers, it matters to not be able to run the ball and to not want to run the ball and get and to a point where you're it's not even not able like i think they could have done it we were we were leaving the door open for them to do it correct it's just like you don't have the patience you don't have the discipline this was a dare us it. saying we're gonna play five guys in the box and we're gonna let you i mean if our defensive tackles can hold up and you can't run great we can make you entirely one-dimensional even if they can't and you're getting five-ish yards of carry which is basically what happened that for the most part ohio state was able to move the ball not in huge chunks but in reasonably efficient chunks, the kind Jim Harbaugh loves. Right, I mean, they were getting almost five yards per carry. Right. Yeah. But even if you do that, we don't think you're going to continue to do it. We don't think you you have the willpower to say, I'm just going to keep running the ball when we know it's not what you want to do. They said, we don't think you're going to want to do that. And they were right. And he kept throwing into it. And sure enough, I mean, in the second half, Ohio State scored three fucking points. This is the highest scoring third quarter team, highest scoring second half team in the country. Three points after halftime. Yeah, it's wild. Like, I don't know. It just seems to me like I get it on the one hand that, like, 
running the ball has a physical toll and it's it's like difficult on your players and it's like hard it's hard to just like every down be like we're going to smash and we're going to keep doing it and we're going to keep moving it at five yards per it's like, harder on the interior defensive line though like all of this work to pick up five yards when you're like i could just flip it out to marvin harrison right. and then have 20 <laughs> like why am i working that so hard more fun yeah. you know what i mean but like that's what we mean when we say you're soft. Yes. That's exactly what we mean. It's that we're giving you the opportunity to march down the field in 15 plays if you want to. And you won't do it. You won't do it. You're going to try to make your pretty passes instead. <laughs> and that's fine. It's beautiful when I, when I see it. Listen, when I see Stroud throw a ball, I'm like, man, that's a pretty ball. However, yep. however... You have to win the game. And I just, I feel like that is more opportunity for me to Ryan Day slander. Because Jim Harbaugh said, bet, you won't do this. You won't. I'm going to give it to you and you won't take it. You, it is in front of you and you won't take it. And we said this before. Ryan Day doesn't want to run the ball. Even if they could, he doesn't want to. We talked about this at length, I think, when we previewed them. And to be fair, it looked like Mayan Williams was not not in good shape for this game. So, Neither was Trevion Henderson. The, but my point is, I think... If they had those guys and they had been able to run for five yards a carry, maybe he has a little bit more faith in being able to continue to do that. Put the ball in those guys' hands rather than Chip Tranum, who's a transfer from Arizona State who hasn't played much this year, or Dallin Hayden, who's the freshman who, like last week against Maryland, was really the first time he'd gotten meaningful playing time. Maybe. But I've watched enough Ryan Day, and like I talked about with Lincoln Riley. Like I think those are the same. There's just something in their DNA that's like, I think passing is the most efficient way and the best way to move the ball. And even if I can run it for five yards a carry, I, I don't feel like that's optimal. I'm going to do the thing that I think is best more often than not, even if it's what the defense is taking away. And most of the time it works for them. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's twice in a row we've seen that against Michigan from Ohio State. I just think it lacks willpower. Like you just lack willpower. That's fair. You lack discipline. There, there was a great tweet that we've we've been talking about. We've been trying to find. Yeah, it. if you have this tweet, please. We we've been trying to locate this. We have there. We have an APB out on this tweet. <laughs> I think it was about three weeks ago. And somebody, it was just it was an incredible tweet because I think it perfectly summed up the like philosophical views of these programs right now. It said, Ohio State has built the perfect team to beat Michigan State by two hundred points, and Michigan has built the perfect team to beat Ohio State. And that feels right. Like, you can throw the ball all over the fucking field against a team with a shitty secondary, and it can be fun, and you can put up 60 points a game, and everything's, wee, this is great. But you get into a game against a team that's willing to pound it and has the defense to make you really work for those completions, and they don't fucking have it. They don't have it. They don't know how to beat that. And it's wild to say, after the last 20 years of watching this rivalry, but they don't know how to beat this Michigan team. It's wild. It's wild. And, you know, maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they will. But as it stands, I, I can't help but... Is it an overstatement to say that you feel like the rivalry has been flipped on its head? No. No, not at all. All the pressure is on Ohio State. That's twice in a row Michigan has kicked their ass and shown that they fundamentally know what Ohio State wants to do and they can beat it. And Ryan Day doesn't want to do anything else. I mean, he's been there long enough to know what Ryan Day is. You know what he wants to do. And I don't know that he's got it in him to figure out how to not... I, I don't know if you can change your identity like that. Like, I, I genuinely think Ryan Day is on the hot seat next year, such that if Ohio State is 11-0 and loses to Michigan again, I think he's gone. 
That's wild. He'd have three losses in, in his entire big. But time as career. we know, this one game doesn't define. No, of course, it doesn't define you. No, like <laughs> that's exactly my point. You fucking, cl- I can't believe you fucking said that. That's such clown shit. <laughs> Honestly, I'm gonna be hung up on that forever because it's just so demonstrably untrue mm-hmm. that you, like it's ridiculous to say. And I get it. You lost. What the fuck else are you supposed to say? I don't know. Literally anything. Right. Else. You're not gonna be like, well, the season's over. I guess Read we're just gonna go home. Read me the recipe for but... cornbread for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> literally anything else than that. I don't know. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. This is my mom's cornbread. I'd say anything else. I don't know. I think that's wild. No, it's it's absolutely flipped. I mean, you can't get decisively just crushed twice in a row in this way in totally different settings, different stuff. Like, there's no excuses left. The Michigan program, as it is currently constructed, is better than the Ohio State program as it is currently constructed, at least against each other. This Michigan team is way more built to beat Ohio State than Ohio State is to beat Michigan. And, I mean, we've gone back and forth about this as far as, like, what do you do if you're Ohio State? Because I genuinely think that what Ohio State has built is probably, it's probably the most optimal path to winning a national title. Like, in 21st century college football, for the most part, having an elite passing game is what wins you national titles. You have to have other good stuff, too. You can't be trash on defense. You know, like, I don't think USC is winning a national title this year with the, like, 63rd ranked SP plus defense. That's just not enough. You can't be trash on defense. You can't be completely unable to run the ball. But really what is differentiating among elite teams is truly elite passing games. And Ohio State has that. So they might have built their program in the best way that they possibly can to win a national title. But if you can't get past Michigan... I mean, are you just hoping for the, at this point, the 12-team playoff era and that you get in and that's enough to beat everybody else? And I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do at this point if you're Ohio State, but I, I think you're 1,000% right that this rivalry is flipped. Michigan owns it right now. And it's all the pressure is on Ryan Day and Ohio State because if he loses another one, I genuinely think he's gone, even at 11-1 and next year. You can't be John Cooper and keep your job for 10 years at Ohio State anymore. The the bar has been raised into the stratosphere, <laughs> and that's why all the the hot takes are coming out. I mean, you, you tweeted the 11 Warriors message board after the game where it's all, that's we a- want Urban, bring Urban back. Jim Knowles, it, like... It's, also, it's- talk about <sighs> not ball knowers. Like, <laughs> we want Urban back for what? So you can go back to passing for no yards with JT Bear. Like, I don't understand why you would do this at all. Yeah, beyond Urban being, like, an asshole and yeah, I'm totally unlikable. piece of garbage, yeah. Like, there are worse guys out there getting hired for major head coaching jobs. Hugh Freeze is about to get the Auburn job, and he's Urban Meyer in a different font. Like He's just Southern Urban Meyer. Uh, yes, but... I think that people largely think the game has passed Urban Meyer by. I mean, Ohio State even took it to another level under Ryan Day, right? And then he goes to Jacksonville, and they're fucking terrible. And now they look significantly better without Urban. Like, they just want Urban because he's tough. <laughs> Urban's tough. I'm going to be honest. I don't think they're wrong. Urban Meyer's tougher than Ryan Day. Oh, no question. No question. And they probably need some of that, but... They just I, want I his vibes. Yes. They just want his vibes. I, I hope. I hope they're smart. They're not smart enough. They want the vibes of Urban Meyer kn- knowing that he owned Michigan because he he won that game, and Ryan Day. He never. Ryan lost Day is it. now one and two against Michigan. One and two is not going to cut it. One and three is definitely not going to cut it. 
no, no, it's not. Especially when three of them are in a row like that. Correct. Like it's not even like a little back and forth. Indecisive. Like, this is not like you lost on a walk-off field goal at the last second, and it was like like Michigan in 2016 or 2017 where it was like, oh, God, you're, you're right there, and if a couple things break differently, you win those games. No, this was a fucking dog walking, and it has been for two years in a row. I think we got off topic. We were kind of talking about Act Three. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm just. I'm, I told you. Okay, there, yeah, we we forewarned. I <laughs> had to be here to talk shit, and when the opportunity presented itself to talk shit, I did. But like, yeah, act middle three, of the fourth quarter, right? We were talking about the the Mikey pass breakup. So Michigan is still up eight, and takes possession, right? And up then Donovan eight. Edwards is in the end zone in twelve seconds. Correct. It was awesome. And it was. I, I mean, I think just. Again, kind of referencing back to what we were talking about before, you started to see Ohio State on the drive on Michigan's drive before that, early in the fourth quarter, they were starting to overcommit to uh, to JJ's legs, starting to drop guys more deep, saying like, oh, "Shit, all right, we can't keep getting roasted, or this game's going to be over." So they started to soften up a little, and then Michigan kind of punched them in the mouth with a bunch of Edwards runs, the JJ touchdown. They go back to the ground and they say, "This is our game again. If you're going to play like that, we're going to make this our game." And we're going to play it that way. Ohio State gets within eight. And what do they do? They go back to, they say, this is going to be a Michigan game again. And what are we going to do? We're going to put 10 guys in the box. They did it exactly like they were playing it in the first quarter, except it didn't work this time. This time you got one seam off right tackle. I believe it was between Zinter and Barnhart. And when there's nobody on the second level, except there there was one safety playing about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, kind of in, in center field. And when you've got one safety in the middle of the field and you've got Donovan Edwards running at an angle to the sideline, there are very few guys in the country who are going to catch Donovan Edwards with that angle. And Ronnie Hickman was not one of them. And once he, once he beat that uh, kind of diving arm tackle attempt at the sideline, that was it. I mean, he didn't really get contacted on the entire play. And 75 yards and just like that, you're right back up 15 after Ohio State just... Ohio State had to do what Michigan did a lot of the year, right? Where you have to like grind out drives. That kind of feels difficult. And then in one play, it's you're right back up 15 with even less time on the clock than you had before. And it was just another like demoralizing punch to the gut. It was a lot of gut punches in the second half for Michigan. Yeah, it was great. It really was. It really was. And I mean, I guess we can just kind of roll from there into uh, you know, Ohio State does drive the field again, right? Gets down into the red zone, again, with a chance to get within a score. Got to put it in the end zone. And uh, it's it's second and 10. And C.J. Stroud is trying to I, – I do actually – I want to take a step back. Because at this point, Ohio State gets the ball back with seven minutes left down two scores. And at this point, Michigan just tees off on the pass rush. And it does look different. Like, almost every throw – it's not like there are guys getting in free – like, again, last year with Hutchinson and Ojabo, where they were just absolutely beating their guys one-on-one and getting sacks. But there was a lot of pressure in a way that we hadn't seen earlier, where the, the pocket was collapsing. Stroud was starting to get guys getting into his lap in a way where he was getting uncomfortable and having to get rid of the ball faster. And, I mean, they, they were able to get the ball down the field, like we mentioned, but it was a second and 10, and Rayshon Benny runs, a, I think, a little stunt where he's coming around the outside, and... As Stroud kind of steps up, Benny grabs him, and he's got a sack, and Stroud tries to flip the ball out to Xavier Henderson, if I'm remembering right. I think that's right. And it's a little bit off, right, kind of out in front of him, and Henderson kind of reaches out and tries to grab it but can't corral it, and it lands right in the lap of Taylor Upshaw. 
And, man, if you had Taylor Upshaw interception to clinch the Ohio State game on your bingo card, like, congratulations, because I did not see that coming. But You think you can make a parlay bet with that includes that? Oh, my God. Taylor Taylor Upshaw interception You're plus two Cornelius Johnson 60-plus yard touchdown. <laughs> like, You're a billionaire yeah, now. Congratulations. $5 wins you a million. God, it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a wild end. And then almost immediately after that, you have the exact same situation play out again with Edwards, right, where it's third and three. Ohio State puts all 11 guys at the line of scrimmage, and there's one seam where I want to call out Zach Zinter on this because if you watch the replay on the 85-yard touchdown, uh, Zinter's at right guard, right? And on this play, he's got a defensive tackle lined up uh, just kind of on his left shoulder, and he's got a defensive end on his right shoulder. And he right at the snap, blasts the defensive tackle inside so that Oluwatimi can engage him and hold him up. And then right after he blasts that guy to the inside, he turns and just almost pancakes the, the defensive end on his right shoulder. Like, he individually creates this hole that Donovan Edwards runs through, and all he gets is a hand grazing his thigh as he runs through. And, I, I mean, as soon as he breaks into the second level, he's gone because, again, you've got all 11 guys on the line of scrimmage. And it was another one where immediately, once he got through that hole, it was, oh, oh, he's gone. And it's just, the the route is on. Good offensive line play is really, really fun to watch. I don't think it's people so really satisfying. realize this, like, because it's just like, okay, it's offensive line play. It's really hard to identify because it's it's all kind of smashed into one tight space and it's guys mauling each other and it's hard to pick out if but you don't man, know exactly what you're looking for. When you watch that stuff in like slow motion and when the like kind of football wonks on Twitter will like break it down and show it to you, it's cool. It's really cool. I don't know. This, this is the most Big Ten I've ever been in my life. <laughs> but like... Was the punning cool too? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the punting was cool. Thank you for asking. But no, like it is. It's really impressive. It's wild to watch. But yeah, Zinter... He's a mauler. Yeah. He's oh, oh, yeah. Total mauler. Olawatimi and Zinter are two of the best interior linemen in the country. Michigan's very lucky to have them both. And, uh, I mean, our run game has benefited from that all year. Yeah, We've hello Remington for Olawatimi. Yeah, he should win the Remington running away. I don't think that's going to be close. But yeah, I mean, this, it was just seeing the replay of that and seeing the way Zinter carved out that lane, even when they are completely selling out against the run. It's like that's what a well-coached run offense does against a not very run, uh, not very well-coached run defense. And again, once he's into the second level, it's over at that point, and it's just uh, it's just a celebration from there. Forty-five twenty-three. Man, worse than twenty twenty-one. In fact, this was uh, I don't know if you all saw the stat. ESPN was showing it on the the bottom line after the game. This was Michigan's most lopsided win in Columbus since nineteen seventy-six when they also won by 22. I believe that game was 22 to nothing. The last time they won in this series at Ohio State by more than 22 points was 1946. So this was as decisive a win as Michigan has had in Columbus in the last 75 years. Jeez. Playing without Blake Corum and with Ohio State being, you know, allegedly in contention for a number one team in the country. This is not like a bad Ohio State team where you just go in and, you know, you beat a bad team decisively and it's like, well, that's what you should have done. No. <laughs> no, I mean, this was a team that a lot of folks had penciled in on the national championship line yep. before the season started. And that is a really cool feeling. Yes, it is. I'm going to hang on yes, to it, it for is. 365 <laughs> days. Thanks for asking. 
I think there were a couple other things in the game that we wanted to talk about around uh, kind of like game theory decision-making for Michigan in particular. We talked about the Ohio State ones and the clock management. Ryan Day is scared. Ryan Day did coach this game scared. Pucker, pucker, pucker. <laughs> okay, seriously, if you're going to keep quoting Mike Valenti at me, I'm going to have to kick you out of the house. <laughs> fair I enough. can't have it. That's, that's fair enough, honestly. I can't have the spirit of Mike Valenti in this home. But there was the end-of-half situation where Michigan got the ball with, I think it was about a minute 15 left on the clock. Yeah, there was, I saw much ado about this on Twitter. Yeah, so Michigan gets in a third and two with about 45 seconds left. And they let the clock run. They have one timeout left. They don't take it. They let the clock run down. And they snap, I think with just over 20 seconds left, JJ takes off into an opening it gets about 20 yards, gets them probably into the edge of field goal range, if not into field goal range, like inside the Ohio State 40. So they've got a chance to at least get three points here. Then, you know, at, at the very end of the play, you start hearing whistles and they blow it dead and they say, well, the play didn't count. And they send it back to the original line of scrimmage with, I think, 17 seconds left on the Which, clock. Which, by the way, ref show a clock because... Yeah, they have, there were some like, issues, okay, to okay. say the least. If this timeout was taken and the play is dead there are whistles blowing everywhere i can hear them on the broadcast jj heard them too because at one point he stops running and then continues running because he's like i don't know what's going on you can't let him get you can't let the ohio state defender like pile drives drives jj at the end of this play like if jj hears if you have a whistle there and the play is dead. Like, you need to run in there as the refs and make them stop playing. Right. You can't let J.J. You can't just be passively standing on the sideline, like, blowing your whistle and being like, um, I guess the play is dead, but they're running around. I'm going to let guys hit each other. Like, yeah, this was not well-managed at all. But the there were a lot of people. Yeah, and that was not the only occasion. But I think there were a lot of people on Twitter saying, like, oh, God, Michigan is just bungling this. There were 45 seconds left. They're blowing their chance to score by letting the clock run down. It was very clear to me that they cared less about scoring there than they did about going three and out and giving Ohio State a chance to have the ball back with 45 seconds left when Michigan knew they were getting the ball coming out of halftime. That was a, we'll get points if we get something big, and if we don't, fine. We've got the ball coming out of the second half. We're down three. We just cannot give Ohio State a chance to get a play here and potentially put themselves up two scores when, when we're kind of in the driver's seat right now with the way this game is going. Yeah, I totally agree. People were like... And the way it worked out, I mean, the third and two, that play got blown dead, and then Michigan immediately commits two false starts, where if Michigan had taken the timeout with 45 seconds left and then been in third and 12 and had to punt, Ohio State has plenty of time to get into field goal range, if not potentially put seven on the board. I, I, I did not have any issue with Michigan playing that conservatively and ending up basically taking it into the half and, and not getting points. and. I said that even in the moment, not in hindsight, knowing how it played out. No, he said that in real time, can confirm. But I, I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the thing they were doing there, more important, more critical than getting points, was keeping Ohio State's offense off the field. Come right. on, guys. We, we, we've seen this offense enough to know that they can absolutely put you in a blender in nine seconds. Right. And that's 40 what they seconds were trying for Ohio to State avoid. is a lot it's of time. It's an eternity. Oh, my God. Well, especially if... Like you said, for a lot of the day, the stuff that Ohio State was able to get in the way that Michigan's game plan set them up was like at the sidelines, mm-hmm. underneath and like at the sidelines that like they were going to be able to stop the clock the whole way down the field because that's kind of the part of the field that Michigan was making the most available to Ohio State. In light of that game plan, it made all the sense in the world 
not to give them the ball back. I I thought that was, you know, people were really mad about that on Twitter. And like, I didn't see it till well after, but I was like, I was like, what the fuck is your problem? Like, I, yeah, I, was I think really you could confused. argue, like, I, I get the argument that Michigan should have played that more aggressively if you think that you really want to try to get three there. Like, you've got a chance to tie the score and then get the ball coming out of halftime. Like, you could argue that Michigan should have played it more aggressively. But to me, that's not mismanagement. It's just disagreement with Michigan being conservative versus aggressive. Right. It's not bungled. Michigan did no, the they thing knew exactly they, what they were, were wanting to do, and they did it correctly. It's just not the thing you wanted them right. to do, and those aren't the same. Correct. The other one I was going to bring up was late in the game when Michigan had, uh, this was the drive after they scored to go up 11, where you know they're driving, kind of. <laughs> when I say driving, they get a short field off an Ohio State penalty and then a pass interference penalty that sets them up at about the Ohio State 40-yard line. And they don't really get anywhere. They have a couple run plays, one where Donovan Edwards slips. It looks like he's got a seam, but he can't keep his feet. And so all of a sudden... They're deciding, do we kick a 57-yard field goal? Do we punt? Do we go for this on, like, fourth and nine? There were no great options there. Harbaugh opted to kick the field goal. That's probably what I would have done. I mean, Moody has been so good. He also kicked a 49-yarder early in the game that would have been easily good from 57, if not 60. So for me, the chance to go up by three scores and put Ohio State in a scenario where they probably have to score three times to win in regulation with only nine minutes left in the game It'd at that point. It'd be up by two scores. But uh, I'm sorry, yeah. They you're you're up score, by two, yeah. yes. You're up by a full 14 points there. That felt significant to me, given the the basically game state. So I was fine with that. With the best kicker in the country, when you know he has that range, give him a shot to put you up two scores and be even further in control of that game. I wouldn't have hated the punt either. Brad Robbins is pretty good at dropping balls around the 10-yard line. And, you know, you make them drive the field 90 yards as opposed to potentially only having to drive it about 65 from the line of scrimmage on the field goal. But, like I said, to me, that I thought it was an entirely defensible decision that I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was a bad move. I think you could have gone either way. The field goal is probably what I would have done. The punt, I think, would have been fine. It was just kind of a, a no-man's-land territory. So. And then there was also timeout gate. That was Again, also a with mess. The refs, yeah, they were so confused. Yeah, this was I think on the uh, the JJ touchdown drive, the JJ run touchdown drive that went into the early fourth quarter, where they had just gotten a first down. I think near the Ohio State ten yard line, if I'm remembering right. Something on a like third that. and three, they hand off to Donovan Edwards, and he gets three. He gets right to the marker, and. Initially, they don't switch the down marker over from fourth to first. And so Michigan's starting to line up. The refs are signaling first down. And they're looking over at the sideline saying, it says fourth down. Like, did we get a first down or not? And then the refs, like, reiterate first down. And apparently they switch some of the down markers over. The clock is running. The play clock is running all of this time. Michigan's like, okay, I guess we got the first down. They're saying we got the first down. They line up. Play clock's running down. It's about to expire. And Harbaugh's looking over and saying, on the other side of the field, the marker's still showing fourth down. Like, I have to make sure we're right here. I can't call a first down play if this is fourth and inches and we don't get it. Like, I have to know the situation here if it's a potential fourth down. And it looked like J.J. was very aware of what was going on, too. He was, like, looking over to the side. Right, he was gesturing at the markers. gesturing at the markers. Yeah, it was just kind of a shit show of officiating mismanagement where you've got to get things on the same page. And eventually they did. And the timeout that Michigan took to avoid the delay of game, they gave it back to them. And that just ended the quarter, basically, as the clock 
was able to run out at that point. But it was it was frustrating in a close, you know, at that point it's a very close game and Michigan's having to take a timeout and it's like you don't know what down it is. You can't fix the down markers and Michigan's having to burn timeouts to try to figure it out for, for you. And this is like, this is your job. <laughs> just just do it. So that was frustrating, but eventually they did get it yeah, sorted out. Yeah, this was out. literally right at the end of the third quarter and into the right. fourth. And then Michigan scored right after, so it, it didn't end up mattering, and they had all three timeouts, but it was a little frustrating in the moment. Right. Like, at this point, the game is 24-20, right? right. So it's very It was close. just before and J.J. scored on these the... timeouts are going to be very important yeah. in this game. And I'm, like, losing my mind at the moment that we're going to have to have burned one because officials are fucking stupid. Right. And I know, like... I think rightly, you know, Jim Harbaugh got that timeout back and we didn't give a shit by the time this game was over. Anyway, but yeah, I, I don't get that. And I want to complain about one more thing. There's so little to complain about. I, I, but you know me, I'm a born complainer. So I'm going to complain about this. And I'm going to complain about refs because they deserve my ire. I do not understand how a headbutt is not ejectable or was not ejectable in this game because it feels to me like it should be it's it was absolutely wild to me that if 88 whatever the fuck his name G. is Scott. G Scott sure if he had hit Rod Moore in the head like that led with his head in live ball action they would have ejected him where he arguably has less control over all no not arguably certainly has less control over all of right, the when you're in a football right? play you don't know if someone's gonna duck or move their head directly into the line of fire of your head yeah. there are all these variables you cannot control and sometimes kids get ejected from these games over that mm-hmm. things where it's like oh that's a little unfortunate the guy bobbed his head right at the moment the guy and then they called you for targeting it's wild to me that you can walk up to someone after the play target them right. hit them in the head with your head and then just take a 15 yard it didn't make any sense yeah, as that, a practical matter that's absurd i can't believe that that should be ejectable my understanding is that if you like punch a guy in the head or hit him in the head intentionally that's he supposed to be ejected. Him. and they only gave him the 15 which i mean the 15 yards in that situation was actually pretty significant because it killed the drive you know totally how State was in first they and took, 35 yeah they took two penalties and then. ended up getting 29 yards back on the next three plays and then punted on that fourth and six yeah which, when everybody was mad about it if you only needed 20 They'd have had the first down and been driving in Michigan territory and certainly wouldn't have punted from wherever they were, minus, the, you know, if you exclude the 15 yards that they got moved back. Right, I'm not saying the 15 yards matter. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I want the 15 yards. And he, he should have been ejected, no it's, question. It's wild yeah. to me that you're like, they call targeting on these plays where, like, a guy just barely, like, you know, bobbles his head the wrong way or, like, a guy starts to slide right when you've left your feet and you have no ability to, like, change right. the direction your body has already But this one wasn't launched. a football play at all. This was, was I walked up to a guy on the sideline and, and hit him in the head. And they were like, yeah, 15 <laughs> yards for that. If you hit him in the head while you're playing, though, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, an That's ejection. much worse somehow. I, how is that worse? I don't get how that, like, I was, I couldn't believe that. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I just thought that was, like, I don't know, funny. It wasn't funny. It was more funny that Rod Moore was just like, ha ha, flags. Like, his right. reaction was unbelievable. Like, so good. But I just thought that was ridiculous. Like, as a practical matter, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it didn't matter. It is, I mean, it kind of no. mattered at that moment in the game. Um, but it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I just, I thought that was bizarre. I yeah, didn't very understand odd. that at all. It just seems to me like that would be or should be ejectable. It should be. It might be. And they just didn't right. reject him. I don't actually know. Someone's, someone tell me what that rule is. I don't know. Yeah, my understanding of the rule is that it's supposed to be ejectable, but I'm not an official, so maybe there's a different interpretation there. Either way, uh, 45-23, and it feels real good. We've been reveling in it for the last uh, little over 24 hours now. It's Sunday afternoon as we record this. 
And as we revel, I think you've got a, a handful of tweets slash message board posts slash whatever else saved up that you'd like to, to bring into the light for everyone to see. Yeah, some of them are too long to read. I'm going to read one of the long ones. But if you want to see them, just look at my Twitter. I, I posted a tweet that said, at me with your favorites, and a lot of folks did. So the replies are all... Yeah, these are all just Ohio State fans absolutely melting down in the most hilarious way possible. Are and, all gold. Yeah, you're going to enjoy it. So this is for you. Number one, Ryan Day has been stranded on third. Oof. <laughs> I love that one. Also, just in general, very funny. There are a lot of these posts where the Ohio State fans are agreeing with Harbaugh's born on third base comments. And I fucking love that. I think that's amazing. Next, a tweet from 11 Warriors. We're going to take a break from tweeting at the moment. <laughs> Need to think about some things. Hey, this was right after the game. This was the, the, the ultimate, like, I'm not going to tweet through this. I'm not mad online. Please don't tell people I'm mad online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right. Next. What a ridiculous showing from the Buckeyes. Coach Day is very much on the hot seat. This dynasty is coming to an end in front of our eyes. As a diehard OSU fan, I can firmly say that we won't have another 10-win season anytime soon. Disappointed. He's not mad. He's just disappointed. He's just disappointed. Big dad energy <laughs> yeah. on this one. Like, dynasty? Like, is, our, is Ohio State a dynasty? Can you win one national title and be a dynasty? No. Also... Uh, we're not gonna have another ten win season. Like, are, are you collapsing that hard? I know Michigan has kicked your ass twice, but it's not like the rest of the Big Ten is catching up to you. Just unbelievable. I okay. Here we go. This guy. He was in Scott Bell's replies. Anybody in Scott Bell's replies is you know it's good shit. Okay, this is there's a series here. There's multiple refs for the win can't give one side four tds that was ridiculous what now <laughs> yeah oh yeah and then somebody responds to him says alameo come on bro and then the next tweet is come on nothing four tds from refs is enough to help anyone win two terrible dpi calls instead drives or it's three points instead of 14 two clear holding penalties were missed on long td runs or those come back to zero points instead of 14 can't have refs give 25 and still win mm. oh bestie i would like you to look at the slow-mo of those long <laughs> runs because there is not a hold there's no one to hold there's literally no one there who are we holding it's just dudes getting pancaked and then who donovan edwards running into grass like there's no there's literally no people there to be held Literally no one. Miss me with this bullshit. Extreme copium. And another. Uh, this one's thematically right. It's Thanksgiving themed. Here we go. The Buckeyes are sending me to bed terrified of a game 363 days away. None of the other games were enjoyable. I'm trying to watch Christmas movies that I love and they're not as good. Tragic. Thanksgiving leftovers just look gross to me now. It's all bad. <laughs> Just like put some gravy on your turkey and move on. Get out of here. Here's my favorite though. And this one has just become situationally funnier because whatever, I'm not going to spoil it. It's a post on the 11 Warriors blog. And this person, they took their time. Okay. Cause this post didn't, wasn't made until 10 37 PM. So they've, they've been ruminating in there was some the thought put into this one. for a while says I waited eight hours before I wanted to share my response 
And my conclusion is that it doesn't matter how much longer Ryan Day is our coach. It could be one year. <laughs> Matt's laughing. He's killing my drama. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Go. <laughs> it could be one year or 10 years. But we all know that he is not going to die. <laughs> I can't even read this. He's not going to die as Ohio State's coach. It was never his destiny. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> However, there's a guy 100 miles south who goes to bed every night. And no matter what he says to anyone, even himself, deep down it pains him to know that he has a losing coaching record against Michigan. It's not something he chooses to believe. It's a part of who he is, and he can't stop that feeling, no matter how much he tries. Ryan Day doesn't have that feeling. No matter how hard he tries to tell himself how many times he thinks about Michigan, Oh, they used our name in this. Look at that. Oh. He cannot feel that same feeling of pain. That same feeling of pain that Luke Fickle has every night before he falls asleep and every morning when he wakes up. Every night and every morning? Wow. Every night. That's rough. No matter if he acknowledges it or not, it's there. One guy is from Columbus where it is ingrained into his soul. The other guy is from New Hampshire. Whether it's today, tomorrow, one year, five years, one day Luke Fickle will be Ohio State's coach. He's sitting there waiting, and he will stay there waiting because it is his destiny to be Ohio State's head coach and to defeat Michigan. Toughness questions end immediately. Not being able to consistently run the ball ends shortly after. He took Cincinnati to the playoff. Why do we believe his ceiling at Ohio State is anything less than a national title? I love Ryan Day. He's a good coach. But after watching this game, it's clearer than it ever has been to me that there is an end to Ryan Day. And it's not as scary or painful as the one I have believed it was. Important news break for this guy. (laughs) Luke Fickle was Ohio State's coach once. And he didn't beat Michigan. If that was his destiny, why didn't he just fucking do it when he was Ohio State's coach? Important news break number two. Luke Fickle just took the Wisconsin job. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like, (laughs) unbelievable timing. That's my favorite. Just, like, so dramatic. It is destiny. Yeah, that's like some erotic fan fiction nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Like, that's Wattpad. This guy's guy's doodling Luke Fickle, like, (laughs) Unreal. Oh, in between the margins of his notes with little heart heart eye emojis. (laughs) Unreal. I love it. It's amazing. The joy from this is going to carry me through the rest of the year. We have a little more work to do. We do have a Big Ten championship game to play in now. Matt and I are hopeful, fingers crossed, that we will be able to dedicate an entire another preview episode to Purdue this week. Fingers crossed that we both don't get our shit absolutely wrecked at work this week and make that impossible, but that's what we're hoping to do. Um, just general, how do you feel about that draw? The Big Ten West was like a big jumbly mess, and it could have been anyone. I feel pretty good about it. I've got mixed feelings. I think for obvious reasons, Illinois is probably the team I would least want to see because – I mean, not only did they play us the closest, but they're the team that is, I think, fundamentally the closest to what Michigan wants to do and understands what they want to do on both sides of the ball. So I could see that being a real grind again, especially if Coram can't go, which I kind of suspect is going to be the case. But 
it's not Illinois, fortunately. It's not Iowa, who... Despite being an affront to God, had the opportunity to make the Big Ten title. All they had to do was beat Nebraska. Fucking Nebraska. Nebraska is an absolute train wreck right now. And they couldn't... Like, I, I just Iowa, want to say I called that. You did call that. that was, I don't know it, if I called it on the podcast because it all runs together. But when Matt and I were having conversations, I was like, if Casey Thompson plays, Nebraska wins. Just for number one, it's too hilarious for it not to occur. Correct. And number two, like they implode when you have a functional passer and like the big 10 west doesn't have any of those but casey thompson can be one from Uh, time to time the football gods just could not handle any more of iowa's bullshit they they were not going to allow iowa with that affront to god offense into the big 10 championship game again fortunately it didn't happen and so uh so it is purdue which uh, i think purdue is interesting in the sense that they have the they probably have the best offense of any of the Big Ten West options. They have a functional passing game with Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones in particular. And For some reason, I'm really not afraid of a functional functional passing <laughs> game. I can't put my finger on why. It's a, that's a tough call. But I don't know why a functional passing game isn't as scary as it might have been a day or so ago. Yeah. Can someone figure that out for me? Yeah, I don't think that should be a huge concern. And even more so, I mean, Purdue is, uh, I believe, ranked 55th in SP+. Which, you know, you're talking about a team at the, like, Auburn-Duke kind of level. Like, this is not—this is significantly behind, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. So, from that standpoint, you got the best draw in terms of, like, on paper, the weakest team overall. They do have a functional passing game, which Michigan hasn't seen a ton of this year. But after we just saw against Ohio State, it's—I I wouldn't really suspect that that's going to be a huge issue. So, like you said, we'll try to come back to that in a, a more— kind of comprehensive preview a little bit later in the week since I, I think we should spend a decent amount of time looking at the Big Ten championship game. We're here for the second week, uh, second year in a row, excuse me. And uh, and that's pretty cool. I, I do just want to emphasize, I said two weeks ago and again a little bit last week, like whatever happens against Ohio State, please appreciate what the season has been. I mean, when we got to 10-0, and we pointed out that this was Michigan's first 10-0 and start since 2006. Their second since uh, 1997 was the last one before 2006. And now <laughs> here we are at 12-0. and 12-0. and 0. Like, just look at it. Win, 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 win. And you see the Ohio yeah, State, the W at the, the end. just schedule with the Ws on it and just look at just it. Just look at it. For like a minute. It's, it's fucking beautiful. And, I mean, it is Michigan's first 12-0 start since 1997. 25 years ago. and that, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that. I know some people who are listening are, are not, but no matter what. Listening and also speaking. <laughs> I, I don't remember that shit. <laughs> but it, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, it's been a long time. Like, again, Michigan's had a lot of great teams, and I've had plenty of bad ones too, but a lot of good teams, a lot of years when the non-conference schedule sucked, a lot of years when the Big Ten was kind of down, and all he had to do was get past you know, Penn State and or Ohio State or – or, or Michigan State, even if he did beat Ohio State. And and they haven't done it in 25 years. And here we are. We're 12-0. and 0. We've done everything that could have been asked this year. Playing for a Big Ten championship. They're going to be in the playoff no matter what. I, I don't know if people realize that. But whatever happens in the Big Ten championship game, Michigan's going to be in the playoff. Because the only other one-loss team who's in contention once you get past Georgia, Michigan, TCU and USC, who appear to be the four, uh, almost certainly going to be the four teams, assuming TCU and USC assuming win their chalk, games. Assuming chalk, everybody right. wins out. 
the thing is, even if any of those teams lose, the only other one-loss team that is seriously in contention at this point is Ohio State. And there is a 0% chance that Ohio State with a loss is going to jump Michigan with a loss after Michigan just shithoused them in Columbus. Right. So Ohio Michigan can't fall past four, right? Ohio State sets the floor. Ohio State's probably going to be number five. So even if Michigan loses the Big Ten championship, they're going to be in the playoffs. Should they be number five? Ohio State? Yeah. I mean, it's either Ohio State or Bama, probably. Ugh. Unless you're saying Ohio State should be four, which if you want to talk no, about splitting between... No, I don't think between, they like, should be four. I think they should be out. I don't think you can lose as a nine-point favorite in your house by 22 and be the four. Fuck I think you. the only counter-argument would be if you want to look at, say, Ohio State versus USC and match up resumes. Frankly, Ohio State's resume is probably better than USC's. I mean, USC's best win right now is either UCLA or Notre Dame. Ohio State also beat Notre Dame and beat Penn State, who's better than either of those teams. And their only loss is to Michigan, who's significantly better than USC's only loss to Utah. Like, I think Ohio State has a better resume. And on eye test, I think almost everyone would agree that Ohio State is a better team than USC. So I would not, like, the logical part of my brain would, would not be that upset if you put Ohio State at number four ahead of USC. But if no, Ohio, fuck <laughs> But if USC wins the Pac-12, they're going to get in at number four. And it's going to be some combination of Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and presumably USC if they win. Or if they lose, then Ohio State probably slips in. But Michigan's in either way. If they win the Big Ten Championship, they're going to be either the number one or the number two seed. It's going to be Georgia and Michigan at one or two in some order. You're going to play a TCU or USC team that you're going to be favored against. I mean, if you go off SP Plus or any of the advanced metrics, Michigan's somewhere between like a like a six and eight point favorite against those teams. You've got a path to the national title game. Like we said it last week, it's all on the table for this team. And the SP, new SP Plus came out this morning, and it has Michigan as a three and a half point underdog on a neutral field to Georgia. We were just an eight point underdog to Ohio State, and kicked the shit out of them. Like, Georgia's a different animal. We saw it last year. But this Georgia team is not the generationally great defense that we saw last year. This Georgia team is good, very good, probably the best team in the country. But we saw them struggle with Missouri. We saw them struggle against Kentucky. We saw them struggle for about three quarters yesterday with Georgia Tech, who's flat out bad. Like, when they turn it on, they, like I said, are probably the best team in the country and should be the favorite going into the playoff no matter what happens in the next week. But it's not a team that can't be beat. And if you get TCU or USC on a neutral field, it's all on the table. This team can play for and maybe win a national title. And that was the thing that in the back of our heads as we were talking about, well, going into the Ohio State game, if we lose, worst case scenario is the Rose Bowl. And like that's a pretty good consolation prize when we haven't been there in almost 20 years. But like I said, in the back of your head, you're knowing but if we beat them, it's all on the table. Like, this team could win the whole fucking thing. This could be 1997 again. And that's all in front of them now. They've got three games left, potentially, to do it. And J.J. McCarthy said it. He, in the post-game press conference, uh, he took off. They have, like, East Division champions gear, which, like, why? <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about um, that. <laughs> but he had, like, a hat, right? And he took it off and in the middle of the press conference and said, you know, like, 
we're not done. Yeah, job's not done yet. Job's not done. He said that more than once. Right? He said it, I think, on the field in one of the post-game interviews. He said it again at the podium or at the, you know, little table with the mics. It's not really a podium. Yeah, sort of. But he he said it more than once, and that's what he means, right? Like, he's saying it's all in front yeah. of us. He knows it. I mean, they know it's a Big Ten title game a week away, right? That's the immediate thing, like, right in front of you. Job's not done. But on the horizon, I think Harbaugh and everybody on that team is thinking bigger, knowing that there's a game we should win next Saturday. And if we win that one a month after that, there's another game we should probably win. And then you're on the field for a national fucking title. There was a picture that floated around the Michigan Twitter sphere last year after the Orange Bowl. We were at that game. It was demoralizing, but like <laughs> fun in general. Like we were happy to be there, honestly. We were just, we, we were like, when we, we don't were. know when we'll see this place again. Turns out it's the following year but we were like we don't know when we're gonna see this again we're definitely gonna go we went down and then we stayed for a while 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 georgia celebrated we watched it we were like i don't know when i'm gonna get to see this that's pretty cool we're already there in miami in the stadium like yeah you might as well just enjoy the experience we just watched it and so did andrew anthony donovan edwards and jj mccarthy they stood out on the field and watched it. We watched them watch it. And then the pictures kind of surfaced on on Michigan Twitter and other other places. But they watched it and they were like, they. I loved that. I was like, they wanted to like sit in how this feels. Well, and I think it was, I don't remember if it was JJ or Donovan Edwards who, who kind of gave the quote afterward of like, we wanted to see what it was like and we're going to be back here doing it ourselves one day. And that day might be very soon. Very soon. And that's crazy. That was the thing. That was what was the most, you know, the Ohio State game in a lot of ways. We were like, we want to win it. We understand we're an underdog. We hope to win it. We think there's a path to winning it. I didn't think that game was going to play out quite like it did. But, <laughs> no. you know, like if you told me that Michigan stays in it slash takes the lead by shredding them in the passing game for some people, like I would have been like. With no quorum and Edwards playing with the Shut the fuck up, liar. I would have been like, like, you're full of shit. Yeah. But like, they do it. And that's what made it so tantalizing, the prospect of winning. Because you were like, man, they get through that. And there's a Big Ten championship game they'll be a favorite in. There's a semifinal they'll probably be a favorite in as long as they avoid Georgia. Mm-hmm. And shit. <laughs> you know, like that was how it, that's how it felt. That was more, more so than anything else, the thing where we were like, oh my God, like, like this is, you know, it's here and it could be on the table. And yeah. I think that's the reason why, I mean, beating Ohio State in and of itself is wonderful. We love doing <laughs> yeah. it. Please do it for as long as you see fit. But like, that was the thing I think that was the most like, oh shit, yeah. about this experience. And man, that's a wild feeling. Especially if they can get Corum back healthy. I mean, that's that's a huge right. part you of... buy four weeks. Right. And apparently there is no structural damage. I mean, he wouldn't have been out there with the brace on trying to go if there was a serious risk there. So it does seem like something that in a month might be, you know, close enough to 100% that he looks like real Blake Corum again. And this Michigan team, with everything we've seen and with Blake Corum, I don't think there's anybody in the country they can't beat, and they might be in that position to find out. And that's it's, – it's so wild to think about where we were two years ago and where we are now. And – uh I do kind of want to give some credit here. I don't know if we've actually said his name on this podcast even, but Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> like, I in this said episode, something about even... Jim's press conference, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. We did yes, talk about Jim him Harbaugh. as opposed to Ryan Day a little bit. But like this program has been pretty thoroughly overhauled in the last two years. And I mean, last year was 
magical. It was just a, a turnaround in the way that you almost never see in sports. And when it does happen, it, it just has that like magical feel to it where it's like, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And then he ran into Georgia and it was like, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what was to be expected because this doesn't, this is a very good team. And we did so many things we didn't think it could do, but also this doesn't feel like a team that's truly on the national contender stage yet. And then this year they've run the whole fucking table the best teams on the schedule, the games they took seriously, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan State to some extent, Ohio State, they looked like a national title team. And we're going to find out how close they actually are to that over the next uh, next month or so. And it's just, it, it's so wild to be in this position and and to think back about where things were um, and, and and just realize how much I think how much thought and effort from Harbaugh has put into doing all the things that he knew he had to do from where things stood in 2020 to be able to accomplish any of Michigan's real goals. And we're here and we're doing it. And we're, we're suddenly in control of the Ohio State rivalry. We have a chance to be back-to-back Big Ten champions. And we have a chance to play for a fucking national title. And it's just... It feels really good. <laughs> I don't need to tell you all that. I'm sure you're all feeling the same, but it's, I'm just soaking it in Enjoy and trying it. to appreciate it. Enjoy it. And, the you know, we have one more game to play, like we said, at, you know, in a week. But then after that, man, spend spend all the time, the month of December, just really soaking that feeling in. Yes. It's awesome. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. You're listening to this podcast. It's so cool. And you, you don't know when this opportunity is going to present itself again, so... Right. I mean, it's just like we were talking about at the beginning. It had been 20 years of something between frustration at Michigan not being good enough to win these kinds of games or devastation at knowing what they that they were good enough and they just couldn't quite do it or couldn't get the breaks. And it's just so... it's just It was like such a pent-up feeling of frustration slash devastation slash you know, weight on your shoulders... And it just feels like all of it's gone. And the sky is the limit now. That's all I got. (laughs) You're listening to two very happy podcasters today. And with that, if you're still listening, and you've been with us all season, so thank you. Yes, thank all all of you for listening. We didn't even talk about any other games because I don't know that anybody cares. Fuck you and your games. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, Texas A&M, you finally scored 24 points. Who cares? Yeah, bye. Michigan. 45, Ohio State, 23. Go blue, and we'll see you back when we preview Purdue.